0: Mark A. Altman, Darren Doctorman, Ashley Edward Miller. Three fans who became professionals and then became... Trexperts. Inglorious Trexperts.
1: Listen wherever you find podcasts or go to trexpertsplus.com. Hello, Trek fans and uh,
2: all the ships <laughs> at sea. We got great news for you. It's Miller time. What? 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 It's Miller time. You mean we're, day- we're getting a sponsor? No, oh, I wish. Yeah. How does that song go, the Miller time Jingle. When it's time to relax, one beer stands clear year after year. Yeah, but it should be one Trek one Trek Stands clear.
3: Well, then you got to give me time to write the lyrics. Then you oh, okay, just bring it on me. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Because uh, well, why are we singing this dopey song? But it is Miller time
2: because of Ashley Edward Miller. Ashley Edward Miller is the Miller The Inglorious Live 2023 Tour. That's the live tour that Darren and I have uh, been on. at uh, we're doing a bunch of conventions this year, a bunch of live uh, events. And, uh, we're thrilled to say that Ashley Edward Miller will be joining us on our next stop in Richmond, Virginia on March 24th through the 26th. That's March 24th through the 26th in Richmond, Virginia, uh, at GalaxyCon. And, and it won't just be Darren and me and Ashley. Um, if you failed the city, Stephen Mel will be there, the great uh, green arrow, David Tennant, who? David Tennant. Who? Yeah, David Tennant. Who? um <laughs> catherine tate will be uh his companion on the trip and uh the great uh, vincent d'onofrio uh private pile will be there with his uh bald head and uh looking very intimidating and uh so that's exciting of course and the great go ahead oh i was gonna say the great bill shatner is gonna be there the great bill is gonna be there and the great john cleese yes isn't that amazing that's exciting yeah, as long Very as he d- doesn't do that scene from A Fish Called Wanda where he goes out the window with the... Oh, I hope plant. not. <laughs> <laughs> I love Fish Called Wanda. I do, apparently, too. That movie is not as much in the zeitgeist anymore as... Archie Leach. Archie Leach, named after the great Cary Grant. Cary Grant. Yeah, I love that movie, but I guess because of the, it's... The, the, Kevin Klein is the... Not Kevin Kline. Uh, uh, yeah, the stutter. No, but I'm saying that the stuttering, apparently, is oh, now made yes, that movie... Yes, yes. Uh, uh apparently that's a not a, a yeah thing that michael michael palin and his stuttering character I, I just think it's a very funny movie so it's great go. uh it's john franks our good friend john yeah. franks will be there fantastic gates is going to be there i'm sure he's going to have a lot to talk about after the premiere of uh, star trek picard indeed um terry farrell who we love is going to be there. hopefully we'll be moderating. and if you missed our our terry farrell panel at uh, comic con I mean at uh GalaxyCon yeah, Columbus, Galaxy Columbus. Uh which was not recorded through no fault of our own. Uh then you really want to be there uh, for our Encore uh QA with Terry because we're gonna try to do it exactly the same. Ex- we're gonna ask the exact <laughs> same questions. <laughs> word it's for word be like a complete encore presentation. <laughs> uh, Katie Katie Sackoff's gonna be there. Oh, that's only, gonna be fun. She's only, awesome. Only the birds, right? Wait, only the what? only the. What did they say in Galactica? Only the wind. Only the <laughs> I don't know. What they? I have it's, no idea what you're talking about. This is the problem. The show's so old now. So it's, say we all. No, they of course so say we all, but you know, nothing but the nothing but the wind. Nothing but the I don't know, whatever. Wow. I'm completely missing this reference. I'm sorry. Uh, Carrie Jones is gonna be there who played my second favorite Wookiee. Uh in Your uh, second uh, favorite Wookiee. I was gonna say in the ballad of Bob. What? Not what itch is itch? Called. <laughs> oh no, no no he played black Chrysanthemum. oh okay yeah awesome. i, I called the ballad of boba fett it's not the ballad of boba fett what was it called well, although that was it's the book, book of, of boba, boba, fett, boba fett but the i think the ballad boba. of boba fett would have been better yeah that's probably true would have been shorter it's true then there's a bunch of uh, power rangers are going to be there i don't know who they are and uh uh steve whitney uh the kermit the yeah. frog um uh, Dave Foley is gonna be there. Ross Marquand is gonna be from Walking Dead, and he also uh replaced Hugo Weaving, if you remember, in uh, the Avengers. Uh, and, and of course great. of course we have uh uh non oh, well, Persia, super guests. super guests. super guests. <laughs> Superman. Yeah, it's gonna be great. <laughs> Jeff E. Sarah Douglas, Jack O'Ailrin, and my favorite Mariel Hemingway from Manhattan. And, and, uh, and uh is Mark
3: Millow gonna be there too?
2: He is nuclear man. He's going to be explosive. (laughs) (laughs) Barry Barry Boswick's going to be back. Okay, well, listen, this is a long promo. This is a long promo. You know, normally promos are supposed to be like 30 seconds, but we just couldn't help ourselves. We're excited. Don't blame us. We're excited. The Inglorious live tour has been a hit, and it's going to continue at Richmond, Virginia. So we hope we'll see you there at the end of March. And uh, if uh, that's not convenient for you, we will be heading to Rally, Virginia, Austin, Texas, and of course, San Diego Comic Con later this year. So uh, hopefully, we'll see you at one or more. I if think it's currently North Carolina. What'd I say? Rally, Virginia. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's North Carolina. What are you talking about? It's North <laughs> Carolina. Jeez, man. It's not even I, it's not even late. I don't have an excuse for it. It's no excuse. Title. So if you want more information on these and many other fine shows, go to galaxycon.com, galaxycon.com, and uh, we hope to see you there. Well, we know the holidays are over, but uh, it's not too late to pick up some great and glorious Trexperts swag. Because we know you
3: didn't get everything you wanted. No. But you will find everything you want uh, through a wonderful link from our trexpertsplus.com page. And uh, it will let you in on some Trexpert
2: swag. It'll take you right to Kirox Corner, where you can get shirts like, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I survived Colinar, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt, and a bunch of other really great stuff, including Inglorious Trexpert's branded merchandise. Wow, that's that's, correct. that's pretty cool. You could show off your pride in Inglorious Trexpert's
3: pride. Yeah, and, uh, and your uh, Jessica von Puttermaker shirt.
2: And in fact, if you show up at one of our convention appearances in inglorious Trexpert's attire, you'll get a special gift.
3: Well, the Trekspert's. gift is we will look you in the eyes and smile.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, Mark will actually talk to you. So, oh my goodness, uh... <laughs> I didn't want to
3: overpromise.
2: <laughs> He won't he won't he won't uh walk away and he will acknowledge your well,
3: existence. <laughs>
2: <laughs> anyway, uh if you're interested check out this great um Inglorious Trexperts uh swag at uh trexpertsplus.com and tell them Darren sent you. Hey, this is the Trexperts, Mark A. Altman, Darren Docterman, Ashley Miller, and uh there's going to be a preemption next week. Uh, we've talked a lot in this episode about the top 101 Star Trek characters of all time, the rebuttal. That will be moving back a week to bring you a very special episode of Trek Experts, which will drop on Thursday the 16th. Uh-huh. Thursday, February 16th is going to be a very special episode to coincide with the premiere of Star Trek Picard Season 3. Joining us will be none other than 20th Century Fox 20th Century Studios head, Steve Asbell, showrunner of Star Trek Season Picard, Season 3, Terry Metalis, and number one himself, and number one in our hearts, Jonathan Frakes. So if you want to be the first to hear about the making of Star Trek Picard and what the Trexperts have to say about it, don't miss this very special episode of Inglorious Trexperts debuting. Next Thursday, Red Alert. It's the final,
4: the final
2: countdown. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is
3: Darren Doctorman. And this is very often Ashley Edward Miller. And we are.
2: The Inglorious Trexperts Holiday
5: Special with special guest Robert Meyer Burnett. Oh, you know, it's I am really looking forward to the Fourth of July. At number
2: nine, number <laughs> which nine, is, which will be number next nine, week. which will be next week. When, yeah. As
5: they're listening to this,
2: can no, you okay. believe it? Here we are, episode nine, yeah. and quite. Uh, you know, unless something goes horribly wrong, it should be our grand finale of the Holiday Countdown. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Remains to be seen, doesn't it? Well, it's good to see everybody. This has been um, it's been quite an undertaking, and it's been delightful, I must say. If it goes on much longer, we'll all be undertaken. But, you know. <laughs> you know, I got, a, I got a question for you guys. Um, you know, I probably should have asked in the first uh, episode, but uh, but I didn't. And I'm going to ask you now, before we continue the list, this is going to be uh, uh, number seven. We're going to resume at number seven, counting the, all the way down to number one, reveal the greatest Star Trek character of all time. But before I do that, I want to ask you each, what makes a great Star Trek
5: character? What is the criteria for a great Star Trek character? Rob? I think a great Star Trek character reflects the humanity that the audience aspires to find in themselves. Meaning that even deeply flawed characters like Richard Daystrom or um, uh, Richard Daystrom, uh, uh, I'll just go with him, a a brilliant man, but filled with hubris and and yet couldn't see the one thing that was right in front of him, the, the mistake that he'd made, which was imprinting his own engrams onto the M5 computer. Uh, the same thing with maybe uh, David Marcus using ProtoMatter in the, in the Genesis device matrix. These are all people that are noble people that are, are seeking to do good for humanity, yet their own humanity is what makes them deeply flawed so they're unable to achieve those lofty goals.
2: Yeah, we have empathy for them, don't we? I mean, like someone like Richard Daystrom, as horrible as what he what happens, we, we, we care, we understand where the hurt comes from, the pain, dare I say, the trauma.
5: Yeah, and I, and I think, I mean, you look at people like Matt Decker, another character on this list, a, a man that was trying to do the right thing. You know, he probably was running this Starfleet playbook in his mind and he put his his crew on what he thought was because he'd never confronted a doomsday machine before, so he put his crew in a place where he thought that they were safe.
2: Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize that was the original title for the doomsday machine. Do the right thing. Um, <laughs>
5: always do the right thing, Mark.
6: It was a Spike Lee joint.
5: <laughs> but <laughs> but it, it, it William Wyndham I mean, joint. I I think that's what that's what that's why I've always said Star Trek doesn't really have villains; it has protagonists, and even in the Alien creatures we repr- we we recognize I mean unless they're too alien like the neural parasites they encounter in Operation Annihilate that's not that's out of our purview it's true, yeah, those our, guys that's why they
3: weren't on our list
5: but I think that's <laughs> I think I think that's what makes a, a a great character and whether they're antagonists or heroes or anti-heroes we the audience recognize the many facets of them and they they seem true and real to us which is why Star Trek has been absorbing to audiences for 57 years. Absorb,
2: absorb. So Ashley, you don't need to be... Screen time doesn't make a character great. It really is... Isn't it what Rob is talking about? It's not necessarily... You don't have to be a, an admiral or captain or or someone who's in every episode to be a great Star Trek character, do you?
6: Not at all. Screen time is wholly irrelevant. The number of episodes you appear in is wholly irrelevant. Um, you know, there are a number of characters in Star Trek who have been on bunches and bunches and bunches of episodes who I, I think didn't even look at this list funny. Um, you know, I, and I would agree with Rob's assessment, although I would, I would tweak it thusly, that I think great Star Trek characters in their own way, in some way, embody greatness um, as they understand it. As they see it uh, from the point of view of the culture they come from, whether they are Starfleet or Klingon or Vulcan uh, or Romulan, um, they, even if it's just in their hearts, they embody some ideal and they demonstrate a capacity uh, to change, to grow, to evolve. Um, You know, people who are capable of becoming more than what they are, and, you know, they are. Clearly, we, a Based on your a
2: criteria, Veacher is number one on our countdown. He,
6: he is, actually. Now, you just screwed it up for everybody, Mark. Thank you. You just gave it away.
2: Is feature a character? I don't know.
5: Huh, exactly. is a, oh, I, absolutely. Yeah.
6: I
2: think it's a thing. Why, don't, what why is, is anything any we don't, we don't understand, understand always, understand, called, always a called a thing? thing.
4: <laughs> oh, my God.
2: <laughs> That's why I love doing this show. I can't you, believe I'm retiring. You leapt into that one, Mark. <laughs> With both feet. <laughs>
5: <laughs> you your your nose, no, just, I, I trust woo, my animal. esteemed colleague to pick it up
2: <laughs> don't you think I knew that <laughs> <laughs> okay so uh, uh, Darren um, let me ask you how did you go about when we were putting this list together the collective we how, how did you go about um, picking or, or articulating or advocating for, for the, the characters that you felt strongly about on this list
3: well look, I think that that both of my esteemed colleagues are correct in uh, in what they said, but I would also boil it down to this. I think that the uh, the characters need to be uh memorable. They need to be uh well written and uh not uh two dimensional. Uh and they need to represent uh what it means to be in Star Trek, you know, it it needs to be they need to uh, represent that uh, future uh, uh, positive look uh, at the future, whether or not they are a positive character or not, uh, because of the way that they fit into that universe. And the way that they interact with the other characters and how they uh, can get the other characters to um, expand upon what we know about them as well. Uh, and it's important because um, we're not just talking about, you know, the uh, the like we said before, the captains or the leaders uh, of uh, the various ships. It's not necessarily about that. It's about what they represent in terms of the entire uh, history of Star Trek and uh, do, are they individual enough to stand out to
2: us on our list? Great. I think that's very well articulated. And I think uh, uniqueness is another quality that we we look for. That's why I I think that, you know, people may have noticed that certain later shows maybe aren't as well represented in the countdown. A lot of that is because they're not as unique as what came before and and that's the nature of any franchise uh, as it as it continues so um i have to say uh today I, I i encountered a piece of i just have to mention this has nothing to do with anything an incredible piece of fake news which was really angry you know i don't know if you've seen some of those goofy sites screen rant or all this stuff. so you know apple news occasionally will show like star trek stuff and they said rare footage from phase two right so, I mean, this is a new a news article about uh, rare footage from Phase uh-huh. 2 that had just been discovered, right? So, like an idiot, I click on it because um, I'm stupid. And immediately, no, it's pray for the Wildcats. It's Shatmos. Right. And, and the way they described it is Captain Kirk in this rare footage with his um, first officer who was going to be played by Robert Reed. <laughs> and it, for whatever <laughs> For, and pray for the Wildcats, of course it was uh, is is a an awful tv movie but wonderful from the uh 1974 i believe and uh, uh um, Shatner's in it and Robert Reed. and the funny thing is is they wear these shirts it's like sort of a the poor man's deliverance but they they wear these shirts which are very redolent of the original star yeah, they're primary clothing. colors
3: yep. and it's uh, it's funny when you think about it and it's uh, it's fun to think about but it's not. <laughs> too. No, it'd be
2: it'd be it'd be funny if you did it as parody and right. if you were upfront about it. Right. But to try and pass this off as and, and, and you know, 99 percent of people. Wow. Wow. Robert Reed. And then they start to then they'll start to repeat it. And then it starts to be taken. Yeah. As did you know? And if somebody's going to email the show, did you know that Robert Reed was going to play Zom in, uh, you know, in, in phase two? Did you did you know that
6: Lucille Ball was responsible for the Brady Bunch? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just did you so... know that the Loch Ness, Loch Ness Monster was actually Jack the Ripper it's so infuriating yes, I
2: and I can't tell you how many times these sites have ripped off my books oh, where sure. they just have uh, you know uh, stuff and occasionally they credit it and other times they don't But it's... building on your work <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
4: the boy genius <laughs> <laughs>
3: i love you guys <laughs> yeah i mean it, it's uh it's it's odd because the the uh, the internet is still the wild west and uh the you know falsity travels uh two times faster than the truth does and it's it's really annoying because uh a lot of uh a lot of these things like mark said are just thrown out there and everyone you know buys it hook line and sinker and You know, it's it's really annoying, especially when uh, when you see something like that, that, you know, then, you know, three or four experts will come up and say, oh, yeah, I knew about this a long time. And, uh, yeah, I I, uh, have uh, seen this and I've I've held it back for so long. But uh, it's just it's just crazy uh, because, you know, you can't believe anything. Don't believe anything.
5: Well, you know, I've often said believe them. In our, in our AI world, I said that I think the real currency of the 21st century is going to be authenticity. Yeah. Can you believe uh, that? In people, in people and information. And I think that, um, um, I think a new commodity that nobody is necessarily looking into yet, but I, I would love to invest in it. Pork bellies. No, no, no. If there's somebody who is, is looking into how to identify these things. Right and and how to make sure that that reality is real um, I, I I have something well I, I won't get into it, but I I asked I asked um, chat GPT to I just typed into it uh, just out of curiosity because I was thinking about Terry Metalis and Picard season three. All I wrote in this in chat GPT was write a male character description in the style of television showrunner Terry Metalis. That's all I said. And it gave me back. Introducing our leading man, Jason, a charismatic and charming rogue. Jason is a skilled hacker and master of disguise. He's a man who lives for the thrill and the chase and the rush of the con. He's got a devil-may-care attitude and a quick wit, but beneath his playful exterior lies a deep sense of morality and a fierce loyalty to his team. He's a master of manipulation, able to talk his way out of any situation, but also know when to fight. All I said was a male character. Rob, this
3: is just a, d- a description of you. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> Very narcissistic.
5: No, uh, I put I put put that into AI. Now, here's the thing: all I have to do is male, female character, secondary character, whatever. And if I was writing a story in high school, I could just take that description, is made up, and write a story about it. But
6: you know, that's not really AI, right? Because AI stands for artificial intelligence. That's kind of a b, artificial bullshit. Right. It's like, it's just, I know of I'd watch that show. Up. I would too, actually. But isn't that half
5: <laughs> what we watch anyway? Yeah.
6: Artificial bullshit. Like, I, I, oh, he swallows the joke before it pops out of his mouth. Oh my <laughs> <Just>. God. <laughs> before we get in trouble.
2: Number seven. <laughs> Number seven. This is. Go to, uh, hell or
6: go to heaven. Number this seven. Is our
2: Star Trek one, Top 101 Characters, Episode 9 of 9. As we count down to number one, and Ashley, this is
6: the best of the best.
3: Ashley, starting with let's piss off some people, shall we? We're goddamn right.
6: So coming in at number seven um, is an accomplished uh, starship captain um, who has got a young son who is known uh, for his confrontation uh, with the. Cardassians and he was also once the captain of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D for a brief time when Captain Picard uh, was off ship held captive by the Cardassians in Chain of Command Part 1 and 2 Captain Edward Jellicoe Am I disturbing you? Not at all
0: (laughs) Musician? Yes. Classical? Contemporary? Jazz. Ah. Is there something I can do for you, Captain? Are you aware of our plans to attack the Kardashian invasion fleet? Yes, sir. I understand you've been talking to every shuttle pilot on board. Let's drop the ranks for a
1: moment. I don't like you. I think you're insubordinate, arrogant, willful, and I don't think you're a particularly good first officer. But you are also the best pilot on the ship. Well, now that the ranks are dropped, Captain, I don't like you either. You are arrogant and closed-minded. You need to control everything and everyone. You don't provide an atmosphere of trust, and you don't inspire these people to go out of their way for you. You've got everybody wound up so tight, there's no joy in anything. I don't think you're a particularly good captain. I won't order you to fly this mission. Then ask me, will you pilot the shuttle,
6: Commander? Yes, you're welcome. Uh, Came in and replaced him for the duration and his uh, stylistic differences from Picard, although I would argue that there were many things about him that were quite similar. uh, His stylistic differences were immediately apparent. Riker clashed with him in ways that were very interestingly like how Riker clashed with a certain commander, Shelby, who we all love. Um, but uh, but Jellicoe, you know, for for sort of all of the the tension that may have existed at times, uh, for all of the ways that he differed from Picard, like, you know, look, Picard says stuff like, engage. And what Jellico says to his crew is, get it done, right? I love that phrase, because you know what? I knew that guy. I knew those guys. Uh, they were all in the Navy. They're all real guys who all did real jobs. Um, and they worried about getting their actual asses shot off. Uh, and that's the kind of guy that Jellicoe is. And the truth is that Jellicoe was not a Martinet, right? It, was been, it would have been very easy for him to be um, a caricature, for him to be, you know, uh, somebody that the the writers held up and said, see, see how great Picard is because this guy is dumb. Right. That's not what they did. They just held up a different sort of captain who recognized the capabilities of his officers, but demanded more from them. And I think quite rightly pointed out the ways in which uh, the comfort that had grown between the bridge crew uh, had made the crew vulnerable. Um, And in the end, Jellicoe proved that he was a badass man. Um, You know, he made the Cardassians stand down. His plan worked. He brought everybody together. He was awesome. And he conducted himself with honor. And when he left the ship, he told everybody, it was an honor to serve with you. Uh, we learned during the episode that he does in fact have a young son who sent him a drawing of an elephant, which was very endearing. I mean, how do you not like a guy who's, like, who's thinking about the fact that he's got a kid, right? It's a world outside the frame. It adds a, um, a dimension- He has a life unlike Picard. Exactly. He has a real life. And it's not like it burned in a fire. No, no, no. It's like he's got a, <laughs> this is an actual child. But you feel like he has an actual relationship with him. And you can kind of see the dad that he was. Now, Jellicoe comes back in, in lower decks. I don't know if that counts because that's sort of satire in his cartoon. Um, although I guess you wouldn't say that cartoons don't count because Mr. Ericks came in at what, number 43? He also uh, came back in um in Prodigy. Yes, he also came back in Prodigy. But, uh, but I, you know, the, the Lower decks appearance, I think, was sort of more satirical of kind of the, the, the perception of Jellicoe. But, but played by the great Ronnie Cox, they weren't screwing around, I did the casting for this, I would fully believe a uh, Star Trek show that was led by Captain Jellicoe. I would have believed a Star Trek The Next Generation where Picard didn't make it back from yeah. imprisonment by the Cardassians and Jellico was in command. I would have watched the crap out of that show.
3: Well, um, he, he did yeah. definitely bring the crew a little bit of uh, deliverance.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. And when the Kardashian captain got on the screen and said, like, why don't you just drop them pants?
2: <laughs> the only problem is if he was abducted by the Borg, they would have said, okay, take them.
6: All right, you can have them. <laughs> right be fire, double fire. Well, yeah, actually, the real problem with Jellicoe being taken by the Borg is he would have gotten the Borg whipped into That's shit. That's correct. Man. Yeah, he would have won. He would have won. (laughs) He would have made the Borg three times more dangerous. (laughs) He would have gotten it done. Damn right. Get it done. All
2: all kidding aside, this is a great, great character. And it gave us a great perspective that we hadn't seen because so often we've seen crazy captains, right? We can make a whole list of crazy captains. That's next year's uh, list. This was not a crazy captain. This was a very effective, smart capable captain who did things differently than Captain Picard. And you could quibble with his methods. I don't approve of your methods, but he... um, We may not uh, have liked him, but he wasn't wrong. But he got it done. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, we all love Ronnie Cox, obviously, from uh, his work with Verhoeven. um, And he's such a terrific a terrific actor and he came at just the right time and of course ron moore had been in an rtc and a military brat so um he really got that side of um of jellico and i think that's why we're so fascinated and it was always a character that i think much like shelby that we wanted to see come back um and and, and you know for the longest time never really did yeah
5: except in animated form which doesn't count Right, he's it's not live action. <laughs> but but I think I, I think another thing about Jellico that I really appreciated is you realize as the more you watch him, at first when he first comes on the ship, you liked him. Then he, you don't like him. But then as you realize, everything he does is correct, and he's incredibly capable. And he even set you up to to when when Riker says he's he's very sure of himself, and Deanna says no he isn't. You know, and you realize that that he's going through his own thing. He's a wartime captain. He's come to do a specific job. And over the course of the episodes, the two episodes, it's proven that he is very good at what he does. And when Riker says to him, you know, there's no joy in what you do. Even I, when I when I first saw that episode, I'm like, there's not supposed to be, bro. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he's here. He's a wartime consigliere here. He's 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 here because war could break out at any moment. He's got the experience and knows how to deal with them. And he's right. Mm -hmm. And he's not overbearingly right. He's just, he has to put these people on a wartime footing in a very short period of time. And he has no time for your feelings. And in a way, he's, more than ever, he's the kind of character that I think Star Trek could use right now.
2: Absolutely. Because, you know, people are so worried uh, uh, about getting yelled at or or being, you know, told what to do and everything should be, you know, so touchy-feely. But, uh, you know... um, Jellico was like we said somebody who was smart and and there was a reason for the way he acted it wasn't to bully people it was to get things done and what's really interesting and I never really thought about this and something to think about is in a way um jellico at versus Picard is is uh Michael pillar versus Jerry Taylor
4: mm. in a sense
2: uh uh Michael pillar as lovely a man as he was, was very distant he wasn't someone who was family. He, he, he was a mentor to these people, but he was never, he never was, nobody was able to get very close with him, you know, other than Rick, but the the staff was always kept at arm's length as much as they love him, but he was tough on them. He was really tough on them. Right. Whereas Jerry was much more touchy feely, Jerry Taylor, who took over from Michael. And that's why a lot of the writers, you know, preferred Jerry because she was much more, um, Uh, you know, she, you know, she was much more, um, encouraging and much more, um, uh, uh, um, it it was a very different kind of feel on the staff than when Michael was running it. Um, and know, that's also why, you know, when Michael left Deep Space Nine and Ira took over, you know, people breathed a sigh of relief in a way. So I, I, I never really thought about that before, but I do feel like, you know, sort of the inside baseball of it all speaks to, the whole Jellicoe versus
6: Picard as well. Well, I mean, the truth is, uh, deep down, in places you don't know, like to talk about it. Parties, you want Jellicoe on that wall. You need Jellico <laughs> on that wall. Um, it's, I mean, it's I, I'm joking, but at the same time, like I'm not joking. Like Jellico, you, you know, he damn right he ordered the code red, and he'd do it again. Um, the code, the code red alert the code red alert and you do it again. I mean, but in in all seriousness, you know, that that moment you're talking about, um, Rob, where we're, you know, the whole, you know, he's very short of himself, isn't he? And no, he isn't. At first, you can interpret that as almost this sort of, you know, oh, okay, so he's going to turn out to be like insecure and weird and our heroes are going to save the day. But no, when you look at that in context, when you really sit back and you, you try to get your head around the whole story of this guy, it's yeah, he is a guy who is doing a job. But But what Troy is picking up in probably one of her very few actual displays of like true empathic ability, you know, is the fact that that he is doing what I think a good captain would do, which is question everything that he is doing, yet do what he must do anyway.
2: I don't think he Uh, gave him any pleasure, and I think a bully takes pleasure in Mm -hmm. in in in, um, putting people down and punching down. I don't think he ever was a bully. I think he was trying to get. It was tough love. He was trying. And you to don't. Get the, you
3: don't transmit your insecurities to the crew.
2: Yeah, I don't. I, and I felt like you know, I, I I've said in the past that you know one of my problems with the way the Pike now is he's super friendly and you know hanging out and like part of wants to be part of the gang. And you know, Ashley, you know, as a showrunner, you can only be so close with your cast, right? Yeah. You know, because if you become too friendly and then you have to make the tough decisions, then they resent that. Right. You got to keep yourself a distance keep a distance. And um, I think that um, it doesn't mean you can't be nice and friendly and, 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 and hang out, but you have to draw the line. And I think that Jellicoe drew the line and he wasn't their buddy. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think a lot of people are probably going to be like, whoa, this is when the countdown went off the rails, if they haven't thought already. Like, oh, my God, how could Jellico be ahead of Picard? But that's something we discussed at great length, and I think we feel really strongly about. It doesn't mean, you know, we necessarily want to spend seven seasons with Captain Jellico, but he yeah. was a great character. He was an interesting character we hadn't really seen on Star Trek before, because he was a hard ass, but he had... But there, there, but there was much more, much many more layers to him than you would see um, at first glance. Or and than he did Sirling something you, you
6: need from a, a supporting character, or from a, a really great guest character. Stir. The he pot. brought out things. Yes, yeah, stirring the pot. He brought out things about our main cast that we don't always get to see. And frankly, not even that. I mean, not just that. You, you know, you forget comparing Captain Jellicoe you know, it, what, it was season five, season six. Six. Yeah. yeah. To Captain Picard in season six. Try comparing him to Captain Picard in Encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. 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 Right. Like there was a guy, there was a guy who did not want to be part of the family. You know, there was a guy who like was standoff. She was all of those things. Right. But Picard didn't even present the fact that, like, deep down, he's a nice guy. Again, as kind of looking at how Jellicoe plays across both episodes once you fully understand him. Mm -hmm. When he comes aboard, he's like, and he's nice, and you like him? He's not gaslighting. He's He actually is nice. He is a good guy. But, you know, like we've all been saying. He's got a job. Got a job to do. He's got a job to do. And
2: the funny thing is, if, say, the Cairo, which was – uh, his ship and the Enterprise were both docked at a star base. Let's say they were K7 together, and he wasn't their captain, he would probably have been
6: lovely yeah, with them. 100%. You know, and they were sitting at the bar having a great old time with him.
2: Yeah. You know, trading stories about what happened with the Cardassians,
6: you know, look, because
2: it's who, all an act for him
3: in a way. We've talked about this before. This is not a list of our favorite characters. This is a list. No, because then of Eric's would be number one. Of the best <laughs> characters, it's different. It's it, you know we we like everyone on this list, and it isn't necessarily in the order that we're giving them. But the order that we're giving them is in the order of what is best by our criterion.
2: Yeah, and you got to remember, you know, not all of us you know agree exactly. So th- this was sort of an yeah. aggregate of what we all felt, you know, and about character, give maybe. and Maybe during the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's a very a good explanation of why Jellico is so high on um, our list and let the outrage tweets begin. Um, <laughs> 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 okay. Well, that brings us to number six and all I can say about our number six choice, obviously very high on the and I think deservedly so is he brought the world order. And again, what Darren says, not necessarily our favorite, when this is not a guy I wanna hang out with, um, but he is a remarkable character. And you could argue, um, not only was a really uh, fascinating science fiction conceit by Carrie Wilbur in the original series, but then the, the, the genius and I can't say of Nick Meyer because this preceded Nick Meyer. It was really um, uh, Hart Bennett and Bob Salin and uh, uh, Jack Sowards. But um, to use Khan, Noonien Singh in Star Trek
1: II. Beyond the darkness, beyond the human evolution, is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet. Banished by a starship commander, he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. There.
0: Captain. The major power! A few shots, son. Not enough against their shields. The base
1: is Scotty. I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, marooned for all eternity. Buried alive. Buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Opens at a theater near you, June 4th.
2: Um, To realize that he can be a black hat. And obviously the character has changed a lot because uh, Star Trek II The Wrath of becomes a Moby Dick story when there's none of that in Space Seed. Um, You could say Space Seed is actually, you know, less black and white with more shades of gray. Not those shades of gray. (laughs) Um, And, uh, but as epitomized by the brilliant performance of Ricardo Montalban, Uh, It is a a tour de force performance. And this is truly an example where I think there's more on the stage than on the page, thanks to the charisma of this leading man and, and what he did with this character. I mean, I'll say it again. I've said it on the show before. I don't think Space Seed's that great an episode. I never did. It's only in the wake of Star Trek II that its reputation has been elevated. It was never a top 10 episode. We talked about this on our Best of Trek. It was not on the top 10 Best of Trek. Um, It was only after Star Trek II that 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 the rehabilitation of Spacey began. But it's a very clever episode. The idea of eugenics being something very important in Earth history, finding these uh, Earthmen and, and Earth people in suspended animation, And then him using his superior intellect uh, to take over the ship. Um, All this is 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 fascinating stuff. And of course, the Botany Bay is. If we're going to do top one hundred one spaceships, it would be on my list. Um, But that's neither here nor there. So number six for me is Khan Noonien Singh. I I think we would uh, we all would want to sing
3: his praises. Um, Is is the superior. Look, one of the things that I mentioned earlier about why characters are on this list is because they're memorable. Khan, even in a, as you say, substandard uh, episode, is memorable. He's a, an amazing character. His magnetism uh, shows, uh, uh, uh performance is, is really uh, Shakespearean uh he uh conveys this power and confidence uh befitting a uh you know a ruler of uh you know three quarters of the planet earth um it's it's truly uh, a great character that that expands the uh our view of the universe and of the history of earth and um i think that uh even though he's uh you know uh, 33% more cartoony in Star Trek 2. Uh he still uh, conveys that uh, regal quality of a leader, of a king. Uh and it's it's really magical to see those performances especially if you watch them uh one after the
2: other. But it's a movie, he needed to be 33% more cartoony. It's well, the difference between uh you know television and and movies, but he's <laughs> he, he he's great Rob. Tell us You know, obviously, there's such subtlety in uh, the scene in the dining room where they first Spock and Kirk first get him to admit who he really is. Uh, You know, why is this character so iconic?
5: Well, I think because he's really his own man, and he believes. I mean, what I've really liked about Khan, and I think in Space Seed, I think I think it is a a good episode because one of my favorite scenes in all of Star Trek history is when he has Marlon MacGyver's is on the ground. You know, and and basically he says, look, go or stay, but do it because it is what you wish to do. And I love that because, you know, people could say he's a brute or whatever. And, and when he's, he, the, he's faced with the idea of putting the crew of the Enterprise to death, he's frustrated. He says, it's so useless. All of you will go in there. You know, and he's like, I don't want to kill you. Clearly, you people are are know your jobs. You're good at what you do. You're unique. Khan has read the manuals, his superior intellect. That's why he knew Chekhov was on the ship. He hadn't been on the bridge yet, but that's why he (laughs) recognized his face because he read all the the personnel manuals and he knew everybody by sight. Why can't you bow to the superior human? (laughs) Thank you, Rob.
2: You in fifteen seconds, you address that question uh, in, in a very capable and logical way that no one has done in forty years.
5: Yeah, I, mean, it, I mean, it's so ridiculous to me because there's four, there's over four hundred guys up there, and we haven't seen them all. Clearly, Chekhov was on the ship, um, and I'm sure that's what Nicholas Meyer probably thought too, and didn't think anybody would would make hay out of it. But the thing about Khan is. You know, Khan is genetically superior. Yes, he has superior ambition. But you know what's really interesting? You find out from uh, everyone, Scotty, McCoy, I've always admired this one. You know, he was a good leader. And people believed in him. Certainly his own crew, his own genetically modified crew. um, They liked him because he knew what he was doing. And I always thought that, like, it's unfortunate how he... I thought a big misstep he made was I'm going to take this ship and go. F-. It's like, what do you know about taking a ship? You should have just been, all right, hung back a little and um, seen what uh, the lay of the land was. Yes. And like he couldn't do it. I understand Walk where he was coming and- from be- oh. because in his mind, he had just left the, the 20th century. You know, it's, it's, it's not like he wasn't, he wasn't Charlton Heston. He wasn't Taylor. And he, he did not leave the 20th century behind with no regrets. He had lots of regrets. <laughs> and he just, he, he was put in suspended animation. He wakes up. He could have been yesterday. So he was in battle mode. He was in war mode. I get it. But the thing about Khan is, uh, at least in Space Seed, he's the kind of guy that you could actually get behind. If you really thought about what he was doing, he, cause he wasn't a bad person. He was he was exactly what he was supposed to be. And I always kind of, in a way, objected to his portrayal in Star Trek II, because I felt I understand he was angry and he was in he was trapped on this prison planet when it shouldn't have been that way. But I didn't like the one-dimensional nature of Khan. Because if you go, if you watch Star Trek II and then you watch Space Seed. Like you said, Mark, it does elevate because his performance in Space Seed is very nuanced and interesting. And I always loved the episode because I always liked Khan, not knowing he was ever going to be in a movie. But I always thought it was interesting because he is a antagonist. He, he was frustrated by doing bad things to these people. And well, I always thought that was interesting.
2: You always get the sense that he feels democracy probably doesn't work, but benign autocracy does, that he's smarter that he will bring the world order. He's not necessarily going to kill everyone. He's not Hitler. He but he want he feels like me and my people are smarter than you people. He, he
5: says we, yeah. we offer the world order, not no. I. No. And and I think that that's something that you know, he looms large because not only was he a great did he become a great villain antagonist whatever, he was just a great antagonist in all of cinema history. Mm-hmm. You know, it tr- it took Star Trek to a different level having that having that kind of a a um, a Moby Dick like you know Melville. What it's D- Dickensian Melvillian, you know Herman Melville. Melvillean. Melvillean.
6: I Mel-per-man? mean,
5: he was a he was a great he was a great character that that played that role to the hilt, and he was also tragic in that. You know, what, what I found so interesting is I just wish Nicholas Meyer and Star Trek II gave us a little bit more because all Khan says is on Earth 200 years ago, I was a prince with power over millions. What does that mean? You know, we kind of knew, but look, I would love to have seen a world and I wish that J.J. Abrams uh, Into Darkness started in 1996 and you saw the fall of Khan and you saw his people make it to that launch platform where they take off in the Botany Bay. I would love to have gotten a glimpse of what it was like to be him on Earth in the late 20th century. And I wish that Star Trek II had opened up that way, like in a pre-title. I think if it was made later, it might have been with a pre-title sequence. And you could have gotten a a bit of a glimpse of Khan's last moments on Earth. You know, essentially him in the bunker but Mm -hmm. not killing himself or something like that. Mm -hmm. It would have been really, really interesting. And of course, they've done this now in various comic books and novels, and that's fine. But it would have been great to see him because I, I think about him a lot, to be honest. As far as when I think about Star Trek, I think about Khan. And also I have to say that, you know, having had the privilege of reading Nicholas Meyer's three Khan scripts, boy, I wish they'd make that into a streaming series. Well, let's do it as a podcast,
2: isn't that the plan? I know.
5: I, I, what, a, what, a, what a slap in the face.
6: Well, uh, to me, the key to Khan, this is going to rhyme, has always been Ricardo Montalban. Uh, because Ricardo Montalban brings such charisma. Um, he projects such personal, physical, spiritual, intellectual strength. Um, whether it's Space Seed or Wrath of Khan, you believe what he is advertised to be, uh, which is a Nietzschean Superman, which I, I think that line that you mentioned, Rob, you know, go or stay, but do because you, is what you wish to do, is a very Nietzschean will-to-power um, expression of philosophy, right? Um, and not like in this sort of, you know, cartoonish caricature way. And if you really think about it, just just step back and you, you know we were just talking about jellicoe and kind of how he um brought out characteristics of our uh, of our main cast, you know, or how he stood in comparison to somebody like Picard. Look at Khan and what he represents. at the top of this podcast, we were talking about what makes a great Star Trek character. And we talked about a lot of things. I mean, one of the things I said was embodying greatness. Or how you perceive greatness. And we all agree that it is, um, they represent, you know, what you might aspire to be. They are the aspirational man. They're the aspirational woman. They, they are the superior. And it is fascinating to me that Khan is a literal physical manifestation of that held up against Jim Kirk. You know, who is simply human, but in his own way is a superman right? It's like he 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 is that. He is that aspirational figure. And that's why Khan is such a perfect nemesis. It doesn't matter that the story for Space Seed is merely serviceable because what makes that episode work to me, I mean, you know, it, even without Wrath of Khan, and I don't think it's one of the top 10 episodes, but I do think it's pretty good. But it's like, but mainly it's pretty good because Montalban is great and the character is interesting and what it the way that it tests and challenges Kirk, just as Kirk is tested and challenged in Star Trek Two, is incredibly interesting. We learn things about him. We learn things about Starfleet officers and how they operate, why they work that way, um, and why we give a crap. And, you know, it's, we're just, you know, as you said, Rob, it's, 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 it's we were just kind of blessed to have, you know, this this character sort of floating around in the Star Trek ether, who could turn out to be one of the great cinematic villains of all time, which, as you said, elevated Star Trek. And I think, had he not, had he not been there, um, I don't know. I mean, we might still be doing this podcast, <laughs> but I, I think the audience might be smaller. I don't think we would have a lot of the characters that we're talking about uh, on this show. I, I think he... Khan reemerged at exactly the right time to help save Star Trek. That's great. He's the anti-Kal-El.
2: Yeah. You know, does he? But, uh, but what a great character. And that was number six. And uh, damn it, time is short. So we're going to go to number five and Darren Doctorman to reveal as we get to our final five of the countdown.
3: As we think of the holy trinity of uh, original series Star Trek, we have Captain Kirk, right? He is the he is the commander, and he is the uh, the core of this uh, three minded triumvirate. on on one on his On his one shoulder is Spock, uh, fiercely logical, um, and uh, uh, reasoning, and cold. On the other shoulder, however is the most human being on the ship, uh, the, the most uh, caring, the, uh, the most, uh, you could say, the most emotional, uh, the most human of all of them, and that is Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy.
7: Well, for a man to morning, he'd never return to the Starfleet.
0: Just a moment, Captain, sir. I'll explain what happened your revered Admiral Nagura invoked a little-known, seldom-used reserve activation clause. In simpler language, Captain, they drafted me. They didn't. This was your idea. This was your idea, wasn't it?
1: Bones is a thing
0: out there. Why is any object we don't understand always called a thing? Headed this way. I need you.
1: Damn it, Bones. I need you. Badly.
7: Permission to come aboard?
0: Permission granted, sir. Well, Jim. I hear Chapel's an MD now. Well, I'm gonna need a top nurse, not a doctor who'll argue every little diagnosis with me. And they probably redesigned the whole sick bay, too.
3: Uh, and of course as played by the great DeForest Kelly who uh, previous uh, to Star Trek had played mostly bad guys in westerns uh, on television and in movies Um, he uh, brought a humanity to the show that was incredibly needed I mean we talked about uh, Dr. Boyce and uh, Captain Pike before Boyce being uh, Pike's uh, sounding board and uh, his uh, uh, foil to uh, elucidate on what his problems were and, and what uh, perhaps would be the solutions. But McCoy served that purpose for Kirk uh, so much uh, more uh, real and uh, I think that the uh, the sort of down-home uh, feeling that, uh, that D. Kelly brought to him uh, is Incredibly effective and made uh, McCoy, you know, one of the most popular characters uh, on Star Trek forever, uh, because of his humanity, because of his, uh, you know, he is the healer in more ways than one. He uh, he heals the sick and he heals uh, the captain when uh, he needs it. Um, it's uh, it's such a a powerful relationship between uh, Kirk and McCoy, and also between McCoy and Spock. Uh, they are two sides of the same coin, uh, but the the way that they interact, uh, as uh, you heard before, um, the uh, in bread and circuses uh, are they enemies, Captain? No, that's just how they uh, how they deal with each other. But uh, it's uh, it's so refreshing to have. The humanity of McCoy in that mixture with Kirk and Spock. And it's an essential part of Star Trek and it's an essential part of making those other characters uh, bloom.
2: So human. <laughs> Damn it, Bones, we need you. That's right. Badly. Badly. And anyone who could pull off that white outfit and the disco medallion and the chest hair and the beard. And <laughs> the beard. <laughs> direct from studio 54 here he is what a wonderful character in a time of technology and futurism and science to have a character that's so humanistic you know yeah. that's and emotional and um he's wise. not a luddite
3: because he uses technology all the time uh but he knows the difference between uh, all these uh, machines and the you know the the bedside manner of a good
2: doctor and you know he has that relationship that I think, again, this is something that probably would trouble, that probably does trouble a younger audience uh, that doesn't get it. That he can uh, uh, express all this disdain for Mister Spock, which mm-hmm. masks a deep love. You right. know, he's not. You know, he's he's again he's doing it because Spock can take it. You know, right. and uh, and 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 it's his way of expressing affection. By being so dismissive and uh, that conflict and combative with Mister Spock, it's so wonderful, and it gives the show so much heart. And it also gives you that quality, in a way, of an old screwball comedy. You know, as opposed to just this kind of flat way. Everyone likes each other. Everyone gets along. Everyone says techno babble to each other. It's like, gosh, Mister Spock,
6: techno babble, swell.
2: And and I just uh, you know look, even, even those early episodes of of Spock and uh, uh, McCoy is nothing compared to what Gene Kuhn brought to it. Uh, I mean, Rob's favorite episode, The Immunity Syndrome, I mean, it doesn't really get any better than that in terms of the two of them and their bickering. You know, it's more forced than something like the Fillion Web, but it's, it's so great, The Immunity Syndrome. And, uh, he's just such a great character because he cares so much, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for everyone and everything. And, um, and he's funny and he's curmudgeonly and um, he's he's it's just terrific. And as you said, it's hard to believe that he, you know, sort of was pigeonholed as a heavy so long and then became one of the exact opposite of that. He's, yeah. he's his, most what he's beloved, renowned for yes. is the most beloved, the most loved, the most sweet, the most, you know, it's no accident
6: that he's the one that came back for Farpoint. Right. Right. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's. I mean, and I know that you didn't mean it as a dismissal, but I don't know that I would use a phrase as dismissive as bickering between the two of them. And in fact, but I, I want to revise and extend the remarks of my esteemed colleague about the, uh, the the conflict that existed between McCoy and Spock. That it's not just he is taking the piss. I think, I mean, there's a little bit of that. And it's not just, you know, Spock can take it because Spock freaking can, but it's also this. There is a legitimate difference in point of view. And there are times when McCoy, as a humanist, as more of an empath than Deanna Troy ever was, where he finds that cold, calculating bullshit to be anti human and not just anti human, but anti humane right and he calls spock on it and you know what here's here's the thing here's why it works it's not just because spock can take it it is because spock demands it you know for spock to present an argument to present a strategy a solution and expect no debate would be illogical it is not logical to be perceived as infallible to be unquestioned right it, without questions you can't Grow. You can't come to better solutions. And yes, Spock pushes back. He's got a great, very dry sense of humor. I don't want to get too far into him because he still might appear in this countdown. I don't know. Um, but what was what I think was special about their relationship, and it's why like things like Pulaski and Data didn't work. There was no philosophical difference between the two. You know, there wasn't like a back and forth. It was just Pulaski kicking the puppy, which was right. not cool. <laughs> You know, as an android wouldn't understand, screw you, Dr. (laughs) But
3: But McCoy knew of Spock's difficulties of accepting his human half. Yes. And he would always needle him there because he knew that Spock needed to balance his two halves. And he's actually trying to help him. That's right. You he's know being a good doctor in his he's own. Being way. a good doctor, because what Spock finally realizes in Star Trek The Motion Picture is the balance of his cold logical side and his human
6: side. And McCoy has been trying to bring this out for all those years. And what I think is missed and kind of the 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 wonderfulness of the of the the clash between Spock and McCoy is that Kirk is hardly immune. Uh to shit talk for yeah. Dr. McCoy. McCoy lets Kirk have it. McCoy's the only one works. who can. That's exactly right. Yeah. Rob, uh, you're- But his, his whole approach is different. Go ahead, Rob. I'm sorry.
5: Well, no, no. I, I think that another thing that, that exasperates Spock is I also think Spock has tremendous respect and understanding about how good Dr. McCoy is at doing his job. Yet Spock, is like, okay, doctor, now is the time when we buckle down here. And, and Spock doesn't understand... It's not that he doesn't understand it. He might intellectually understand it, but he doesn't understand McCoy's need to inject maybe a little bit of levity, a little bit of humor, a little bit of humanity into even the most dire of circumstances. Spock doesn't quite... And it, it, in a way, uh, it, McCoy brings out the emotion in him as well as, like McCoy, like you both said, that he wanted to bring that out. But Spock is like, look, can we just buckle down here for a minute? Let's think and work the problem. And McCoy is saying something that's a, 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 an emotional opinion that maybe Spock doesn't really need to hear right now. and. And it's all part of understanding humanity, but I think that's where part of the conflict comes in is that Spock actually really does respect McCoy and yet he doesn't understand McCoy's predilection for always bringing in humanity all the time. Yeah, your predilection for he demonstrates. I mean, what he's really saying is that, why is it that even now, well, Spock, you're just as warm and sociable as ever. You know, it's, it's even then when Spock is on a single-minded quest to understand this logic, this consciousness calling him from space that might be the most important thing in Spock's life ever, Mm -hmm. Dr. McCoy is there with a joke. And it's like Spock is like, even now, doctor, even now. And in a way, Spock's probably thinking to himself, well, of course, why should I have expected anything less of my friend? And
2: if you doubt that friendship, you look at that scene of Muck Time in the turbo lift. You know when Spock is is going back to Vulcan, and not only invites Kirk, but then turns to McCoy and extends the invitation for him to come to Vulcan. Yeah. It shows you how much McCoy means to him.
3: Yes, and it it is just it is so, you know, for a a movie that we want to be better. It is so wonderful that the repository for Spock's catra becomes McCoy. <laughs> yes, uh, that they share consciousness and it is it is such a wonderful sort of culmination of this you know 30 year long friendship uh and it's just so great and uh, ironic and uh, wonderful
2: yeah a great so. a, a great and beloved character which brings us to another great and beloved character at number 4 Ashley we're getting very close to number 1 but first we have two more to go Tell us who or what can we find residing behind door number four?
6: I'm struggling with your math, doctor.
2: We but have four <laughs> more to go, but that's <laughs> fine. <laughs> we have
6: four more to go. Well, yeah. after four, we yeah, have... Then
2: we'll have three and two. Whatever. Yeah, okay, let's, sure. Let's
6: we'll not yeah, yeah.
2: proof the math. Let's,
6: I'm not a genetically enhanced super being. So, number four. Y- you know, when this character was introduced, everything about him was different um he uh he didn't have a ship he had a space station didn't go anywhere man how is that star trek he was in command but he wasn't a captain he was just a commander at the time um he had a kid that he brought with him who does that how does that work how is that not going to be annoying And the truth of the matter is that over seven seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Captain uh, Benjamin Sisko uh, emerged as uh, one of the most humane, tough, intelligent, cunning, ruthless, resourceful, mother, uh, in the history of Star Trek.
7: What are you really up to, Javier? You expect me to believe that a decorated Starfleet officer, the pride of the service, is going to poison an entire planet? That's exactly what I'm going to do. You're bluffing. Am I? Commander, launch torpedoes. Commander, I said launch torpedoes. Aye, sir. lithium resin is dissipating throughout the biosphere. The Maquis are scrambling their transport ships. They're starting to evacuate. Do you realize what you've done? I've only just begun. I'm going to eliminate every Maquis colony in the DMZ. You're talking about turning hundreds of thousands of people into homeless refugees. That's right. When you attacked the Malinche, you proved one thing that the Marquis have become an intolerable threat to the security of the Federation, and I am going to eliminate that threat. But think about those people you saw in the caves. Huddled and starving. They didn't attack the Malinche. You should have thought about that before you attacked a Federation starship. Helm, lay in a course for tracking two warp six. Commander, prepare two more torpedoes. Engine break. Set course 050, on seven, Torpedoes nine. three and four. Can't you see what's happening to you? You're going against everything you claim to believe in. And for what? To satisfy a personal vendetta? You betrayed your uniform! And you're betraying yours, right now! The sad part is you don't even realize it. I feel sorry for you, Captain. This obsession with me, look what it's cost you. Major, shut that thing off! Commander Worf, prepare to launch torpedoes! Wait! You call off your attack I'll turn over all our biogenic weapons Not enough (sighs) All right, Javert I'll give you what you want Me
6: Um, exactly the kind of guy that you want to have at your side in a fight, in the brawl for it all. He's the guy you want on your team. Um, because when he says things, he means them. He doesn't make threats, he makes promises and he delivers. Uh, you know, he embodies a lot of the qualities that we were talking about um with uh with, with Jellico, frankly. Or even strangely enough uh with Khan. You know, or it's he is um he is not a man to be trifled with. But by the same token, he does love his crew. He, you know, he looks at them as family, but he's they are family that he must protect and take care of. And they need to step to. They need to listen. Uh he loves his son. He loves that boy uh more than anything. And he treasures him in ways Uh, that feel very, very real at all times. They have a real father-son relationship. And, you know, when we were talking about, I think it was on the last episode, this yada yada about like Star Trek, is about trauma and it's not, okay? But the truth is that Ben Sisko, when we meet him, he experiences a trauma. He was at the Battle of Wolf 359. Uh, You know, he saw a lot of bad stuff. His wife died. He lost her. He lost everything. He hates Captain Picard. His trauma didn't make him a sad sack, you know, who kind of had to whine about it and go to therapy. He got mad. He got mad. And he found ways to get even. He built the defiant. And then he channeled that into something positive. He built a world. He helped bring Bajor into the Federation, recover from the Cardassian occupation. He put together an alliance that you would never have imagined, the Romulans, the Klingons, the Federation, to fight the Dominion and win. And on top of that, he was kind of the, you know, the, the sort of the human representative of the God figures for the Bajoran religion, no. for the prophets. That's a tall order, man. Dad, God you know, a war leader, you name it, the guy did it. But and I want to touch on
2: what you said about trauma sure. in Emissary. This is a guy who does not want to give, he hates Picard. He's going to give up this post. He wants to run away, right? Like mm-hmm. Chris Pine at the beginning of Star Trek Beyond, space is boring, yada, yada. But by the end of the pilot, he realizes he needs to stay behind to build something that he can make a difference. That's Star Trek. That's why when people say, oh, Deep Space Nine to boldly sit where no man has gone before. Oh, it's so dark. No, it's Star Trek. Guy, he wants to stay behind and rebuild. He's an idealist. And he only gets better as time goes on. As we said, ad infinitum, that character, once they discover who and what he is and get over the fact that they don't want to be a man called Hawk. So they don't give him the the goatee and, and they don't make him tough. And they're afraid that all uh, oh, black men on TV, we can't make him too tough, right? He'll, he'll alienate the uh, the South. But by the but you know by the time you get to, um, you know, season four, season five, man, that character is bad ass.
6: Even season three, like just he show held him out. back. And the second, the second that they just let Cisco be Cisco, it transformed him. It transformed the show. Um, and you know, he went from being kind of a, a stiff in some ways. And you always, I think in the early seasons, you saw flashes Mm -hmm. of who that guy was going to be, but you saw flashes, you know, but you know, by the time you're into the later seasons, he's doing stuff like, Hey, guess what, Maki? Uh, you know, uh, unless you get your asses off this planet that you took in uh, contravention of our agreement. I'm going to make it fucking uninhabitable, and if you don't believe me, hold my beer and watch this. <laughs> mm-hmm. But he's a community
2: organizer. He is a, a, a wartime consulari. He is a, a fighter. He is a um um. He's a father, a really good one, and uh and he's a, ultimately a god. I mean, he 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 hits for the cycle this one, and that's you know that's why as I said some people may be surprised that Cisco is so high on on the list, but, you know, it's a character that goes through an evolution and at its heart is a very Star Trekian character and um, it it ends in a much more interesting... Well, it actually... He begins in such an interesting way and he ends and goes through this incredible evolution and, uh, you know, we all wanted... We are all rooting for Avery, you know, when he was struggling with it early on and, you know, boy... When he find when he finds it, the writers deliver for him, and he delivers for the writers, and that's a thrill to watch.
5: Well, also in a way, he does represent one of the great uh, Trek characters in that in in in, in uh, emissary. He ends up meeting one of uh, one of the great unsung alien races in all of Star Trek, which is the the wormhole aliens, the the, the these creatures that live outside of time, and he ends up confronting them directly and has an ongoing relationship with them. I mean, he he's the emissary, their emissary, but he's also humanity's emissary to them. And I always thought that was a really interesting relationship that developed over the course of the series, and that's another reason why I thought it was so... Uh, they didn't need the paw wraiths. It would have been yeah. much more interesting to see the wormhole aliens take a more active participation in what was going on
2: or more Uh, baseball. I love the baseball.
5: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But, 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 but they, there could have been a fraction. We talked about a a fracture within their realm between these, these aliens that, and yet he was always a part of that and he accepted that role. And I want to say that one of the reasons I thought that he accepted his post at deep space nine was that he and he alone really understood that he was being given the very opportunity, the dream job of any Starfleet officer, which is to have a personal, ongoing, developing relationship with an alien species that's really beyond comprehension. And yet somehow they take a shine to him and he was he was given that opportunity. They didn't make much of it on the show. I always thought... I love Deep Space Nine. It's my favorite show since, uh, other than the original series. But I always wished that they would have developed his relationship with the wormhole aliens were always portrayed as sort of unknowable. And I know they had to portray them that way, but I always loved seeing how Cisco dealt with them. And I'm just glad that humanity had a a person like Ben Sisko on that front line because someone else might have gone south as you 've all uh, alluded to in your uh, in your speeches,
3: um, my favorite part about the the character of Benjamin Sisko is the fact that from the first episode to the last episode, he undergoes dramatic changes and he evolves as a character as we watch the show and it 's an amazing transformation uh as he as he settled into what his destiny is what his duty is and it's really uh it's it's really a uh a a a wonderful statement about what it is to be human Mm -hmm. and to be able to adapt to new situations and new challenges and he does that completely and it's it's wonderful to watch
6: yeah and how to make terrible choices it's easy to be a saint in paradise, right? Like I don't mean terrible choices as yeah, in right, like right, how right. to choose badly. I mean hard choices, <laughs> difficult yeah, choices, hard choices. Yeah, right. choices where like all of your options suck, right? Right. Any a hole can <laughs> choose like if you if one of your things is well that's obviously right. Well, yeah, you can do that. Yeah, you know that's the nice thing. I think I'll do that. Yeah, you can you can do that. You know, but when your choice is between, well, I guess we let the Romulan ambassador go. And then the Dominion will overrun the Alpha Quadrant, but you know what? At least I did the right thing. Or you, uh, you let Garrick do his thing, and you make it stick. I mean, that's tough, man. Yeah. You know, you are weighing lives against your conscience, and Cisco chooses lives. I mean, his. Uh, there are so many great speeches in Deep Space Nine. Um in great moments. His 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 log uh at the end of in the pale moonlight. You know, uh you know, when he is talking about what he can live with and and what he can't, and he decides, I can live with it, you know, I can live with it. And then he erases the log. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just it is a it's a terrific moment for that character because it's the show and Cisco are telling us we cannot have it both ways. Right, there is not going to be a way for us to buy back the difficult choices, which is something that I think um, Star Trek has been very prone to at times—buying back those difficult choices. It wasn't something we really saw in the original series because they didn't do extended stories. Right, Um, but in Deep Space Nine, they they did. Um, You know, even in the Next Generation, they sort of did that. But even within episodes, they would buy back. You know, the the mean. Decision or the difficult decision, um, and uh, no, it was it was great just watching this guy evolve and kind of see who he is. And you know, it's it is difficult. It, he he's so great that it is difficult for me to pinpoint like what's my favorite moment. Is it that moment in the pale moonlight? You know, is it that moment in for the uniform? Um, you know, where he takes out a planet. <laughs> you know, is it? You know the visitor, when he's just telling his his boy, like you know, let me go so you can live your life, like uh, or Doctor Noah, yeah, or Doctor Noah. Exactly, it's like Avery is just unhinged and awesome, you know. And uh, our Man Bashir is Doctor Noah. Yeah, you know, you know just- um, one Run other around. thing
5: I want to mention is it's the first time and the only time we ha- we see an ongoing father parent. A parental relationship um, throughout that whole series, and the relationship he has with Jake—what a great father he is, and what a great son he is to his own father.
2: Well, I want to add and- to that, Rob, for just a second, and come back. Which is, he also—it's the first time we see an ongoing relationship with the captain because you have him and Cassidy Yates, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know the girl of the week or Riza like, or whatever. Back. You know, it's like it's so interesting to see. That ongoing relationship with Cassie Yates, and then also, you know, when she's in danger and he's trying to be like, "I don't want you doing this," and then it's like, you, you know, you're one to tell me. It's so it's such an interesting dynamic that we hadn't seen in Star Trek. When we said well, they, they, this list rewards the big swings, you know, in characters. Go ahead, Rob.
5: Sorry. Well, no, and I, I well, I was just gonna say. I mean, you know that that relationship. The sh- he's he's a capable, loving father. He's also a disciplinarian. He's stern. He doesn't let anyone walk all over him. And you know, there's an episode in um in the in the show in uh the third season called Explorers, mm-hmm. where he basically recreates a an old Bajoran starship to sort of prove that the Bajorans could have made it to Cardassia. And um Ah, uh, you know, it's I, I really like that episode, and and that him and him and Jake are gonna go on this adventure. It's like the Contiki. Yeah, that's exact. Thor Heyerdahl. That's yeah. exactly what it is, and I love that. I mean, I, I I thought that was that was just a great a great thing, and you know, one of my. It's not a great episode of Deep Space Nine, but I love the last episode of the second season, the the Gem Hadar, and it's of course when the. Where a galaxy class starship is destroyed, and it starts out on a father son weekend out that Nog invites himself and Quark on. The vacation's the, over. The, the, <laughs> the, yeah, and it's 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 just that whole relationship where you you see that a father he's like Ugh, okay, and he 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 relinquishes he allows him his son to okay I'll do it even though the last thing in the world he wants to do is go on vacation with Nog and Quark. And I love that they they even did an episode like that and then turned it in to basically the opening salvo of the Dominion War. And that's why I love Deep Space Nine so much is because they could get away with something like that. But the first half of that episode is kind of a very amusing, you know, father-son father, father son thing. And it, it, it was done very, very well, as opposed to, you know, in modern Star Trek, it seems a lot of the time relationships or conversations are just transposed from any relationship drama and reused in a Star Trek setting. But I really feel that in the relationship that that Jake and Cisco had, it really worked within the context of the show itself. And uh, I really like that. You know, one, I, I know we're going to
6: probably need to, to move on. I'll say one last sort of quick observation. Um, we didn't recognize it at the time. And it's The observation comes out of a very strange character's mouth. But it's easy to forget that Cisco once met Q. And this is what Q Mm -hmm. said about Cisco that I think just captured him perfectly. And then the show proved over the the course of seven seasons. He hit me. Picard never hit me. Mm -hmm. That's Cisco. That's all you need to know. Yeah. He hit me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Rob, I know you're a cat
2: lover, so it's not surprising number three, Mr. enters our counter. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no. But uh, this uh this uh this next character was um did find the purring of uh, very tranquil, uh, but not of cats. And of course, uh you'd be shocked if this character wasn't in our top three. Uh some people may be surprised he's not higher. But we feel we made the logical choice, didn't we, Rob?
5: I think that if you go around this great planet of ours and asked anybody about Star Trek, what is the first thing that comes to mind? This character would be that thing. Um, and I think that there was a reason why he quickly became the most popular character amongst women of the day, why he got more fan mail than other people. Um, I think of all the characters in any kind of science fiction that the character of Mr. Spock is one of the great characters of all time. Uh, 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 In any medium. And I think that Spock is a very, I think a lot of the time, misunderstood character. We first have to understand that, yes, genetically he's half human, but his genetics don't have anything to do with not lying or not telling jokes. Because Spock is the best that Vulcan has to offer. Spock. Jim. <laughs> I should have known. Were you
1: right? About PJ. A life form of its own. A conscious living entity. A living machine? It considers the Enterprise a living machine. That's why the probe refers to our ship as an entity. I saw V'ger's planet. A planet populated by living machines. Unbelievable technology. V'ger has knowledge that spans this universe. And yet, with all its pure logic, V'ger is barren, cold, Mystery No beauty <laughs> I should have No not Spock, Captain Bones Spark What should you have known? What should you have known? It's asking questions. What questions? Is this all
5: that I am? Is there nothing more? The whole thing about Spock is he is the greatest Vulcan. He's the best Vulcan, maybe, that ever was. The problem is, and he is definitely overcompensating, but. It's not because he has a human half. It's that because the rest of Vulcan is lesser than him. And I think that what's what's so interesting about the character of Spock is he willingly puts himself into a situation that is uncomfortable to him that is uh everything that that <laughs> that his father was warning him against. But he does this because he knows that to truly understand what it means to be part of a federation or part of a universe itself, you have to the only way you can understand something is holistically. You have to get in there and, and do the do the work. And Spock knew that the only way he could grow beyond his own planet and his own people was to get the hell out of there yeah. and to go find what the universe had in store for him. He didn't necessarily, uh, I mean, he clearly was superior in many ways to the people that he served with. But he also saw that they all, each and every one of them, had a value that they themselves might not know that they have. And the thing was, all of these deeply fallible people, they were always there for him. They never let him down. You know, he might have grown up on a planet like Vulcan, hearing about oh the the shortcomings of humanity. But when the chips were down, it was always humanity that was going to be there—last man, last man, woman out—and Spock knew that. But the thing about that is, he more than any other character represented the audience that loved Star Trek itself. He was the nerd, you know. He was the outsider. And I think the reason he became such a fan favorite is because in his awkwardness around humans or his awkwardness with all of our different traits, he was us. He was all of us. He was every person that felt awkward in a strange situation. And yet at the same time, he also was wish fulfillment for us because we wish we could be in our awkwardness as cool as Spock was in his. And I think that... uh, it's so funny to me that you look at a guy like Spock who also was not infallible. You know, he was not somebody that... And he understood that. He he understood he wasn't perfect. Um, and I, I just think that, that more than any other character that Star Trek gave us, in a thousand years, they will still know and understand the character of Spock. When every other character... If, if everything about Star Trek is long forgotten, Spock will will stand as as a triumph of what what he maybe represents more humanity than any other character. People that don't quite know who they are, yet they still have to step up. People that don't know who they are, they might be in a in a work situation where they're in over their heads and they can't let anyone know it. But they still have to step up and get that job done. And I think that Gotta Spock... Gotta get through that door. Spock represents all of that. And... And more. Yeah. Rob, extremely, extremely well put. I, I,
2: I, there's not much I want to add to that other rather say, you know, famously, uh, he wrote a book, uh, Leonard Nimoy wrote a book called I Am Not Spock. Uh, that could not have been more apocryphal. Leonard Nimoy was Spock. It was a remarkable performance. I, I can't think of a role in which the performer was more perfectly married to, to the role they played Other people have attempted to play the role with varying degrees of success, uh, but no one has ever achieved what uh, Leonard Nimoy accomplished. Uh, And it is a remarkable, remarkable character. And taking it back to what you started your comments with, um, it's no wonder that when you say Star Trek the world over, the first thing they think of is Mr. Spock. Or Dr.
6: Spock. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I personally love all of Spock's books on raising children. That's right. It is illogical to not have a bedtime.
5: <laughs> well, I, I mean, think it, you it, will
6: eat your black towel and like it,
5: like mine. And I wish I wish that people would understand that know. you know Vulcans had emotion. They yeah. they have and they have emotion. They just learn through the teachings, the philosophical And physical teachings of of Surak, they learned to control those emotions. But the thing about Spock was he knew enough he could employ humor when he needed to. The birds and the bees were not. It was a little joke, sir. Extremely little, Edson. (laughs) I mean, he knew. He understood humor. It's just he would not use it in a frivolous way. And while being
6: logical, he was incredibly empathetic. You're yeah, an excellent um, so Starship my, commander, my, but as a taxi driver. <laughs> some, of my, no, some of my favorite uh, moments with Spock are the moments where we get a peek at that. It's like, you know, you know, Jim, do you know what you've done? He knows, Doctor. He knows. Yeah. Right? Um, or, you know, as we, we all sort of debate the merits of Requiem for, for Methuselah. But I love that at the end, like whether you buy that, that Kirk is having that moment or not, the fact is that he's having it and that Spock sees it. And takes away his pain. And takes away his pain. There's Despite something... the fact that we need our pain. <laughs> did you do? Uh, Tell uh, me I, I to turned say, right when I should turn left.
5: Another thing about that episode that I love as far as Spock's character is concerned is when he's roaming around Flint's pad and he's seeing all these things, the, the waltz, the paintings. It's the closest we've ever seen to him seeing or feeling awe. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I Awe love how and he envy. And, and and envy and 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 the fact that he's seeing these things and Nimoy plays it just wonderfully well. Well,
2: well let's let's tell that story real quick, uh, Rob, because I think you make a great point. You know, we give a lot of credit to the actors in this list for these characters, but uh, and we've talked a lot about the writers. But somebody else who deserves the credit is the directors. And uh, there's that famous story of Joe Sargent on the set of Conscience of the King. Because, you know, unlike Chatner, Leonard didn't quite have this roll down as we see in *Mud's Women and we see in The Cage and we see in Where No Man Has Gone Before. And he doesn't know how to say the line. Fascinating. And uh, Joe Sargent says... Um, it, it, was, it was the Corbomite Maneuver. Not it was the Corbomite... I'm sorry. I think, what did I say? Yeah. You said well, Conscience of the King. I, mean, I meant Corbomite Maneuver, of yeah. course. Uh, on Corbomite Maneuver, which was the first episode to be filmed yeah. after the two pilots. And he says... What does he say, Darren? He says,
3: uh, try try making it a little more astonishing to yourself. And and try uh, try thinking of it as a scientist would.
2: Yeah. Curiosity, insatiable yeah. curiosity. Yeah.
3: yeah.
2: You know, and he and that and that like locked it in. That locks the performance. You can see it happen on screen. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you can I, see I, it from
3: I actually talked to Joe Sargent about that because I worked on a project with him, and uh, I w- as soon as I realized who it was, I, I was fascinated, and I would uh, I would pin him down in his uh, in his office and try and talk Star Trek. But look, the thing about Spock uh, that Nimoy plays so very well is you can see the mechanics of his the two sides of his personality fighting in his face you can even even you know the the famous uh, you know uh, eyebrow raise is an emotional response but that's as much as he allows himself to do um and it's so subtle and it's you know for tv back in the day when you could hardly see anything on the screen mm. uh it really does come out when you are looking at it in modern prints and everything um it's it's so well done and you can see when he's when he's trying to figure out a Vulcan way of saying something you can see his slight pause before he before he puts it together to report to the captain and it's just so subtle but it's really effective and i think that you know most of the uh, most of the fan mail started after that scene in the naked time where he's uh, alone in the in the briefing room and he's breaking down he's trying to control his emotions he's trying to do you know times tables he's trying to do anything to keep this part of him submerged and i think it's that that um you know certainly uh, a lot of uh, a lot of women fans notice the side that, of paradise and, and well yeah but that was later but the yeah. the the fan mail started early yeah and uh, I think that was one of the moments that that showed them that well, Spock is really not only is he mysterious, but he has a heart, and he just has Two. to hide it. And it 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 made it made some fans think, well, I bet I could bring that heart side out of him. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah. What a phenomenal character! What a phenomenal character! We do a whole show just on how great Spock is, but we're not going to. But we won't. <laughs> we're not <laughs> because nah, nah. you can't. We still us. have. Two more characters in our top 101 countdown. But before that. And I, I, I'm I'm sure hoping one of them is still MRes. But, uh, <laughs> but before we reveal the top 101 characters, number one and number two, we're going to do our honorary mention runner-ups. Each person had, you know, because this was a consensus. The whole list was a consensus between the four of us. We all have individuals that maybe didn't make the list that we feel... Uh, are worthy. And we're going to find out what they are right now, starting with Meyer Burnett.
5: Well, I, you know, I have to say that um, we have seen many Star Trek characters in command positions, admirals, commodores, captains. Um, We didn't see a lot of female characters of that ilk. Certainly not enough and this is not my choice is not because she was a woman my choice is that I love the fact that like with Jellico in the next generation they they gave us an antagonist for Picard that was also his superior and Alina Necheyev Admiral
0: Commander, the Cardassian Central Command has gone on military alert in response to the kidnapping of Gul Dukat. I'm not surprised this security chief of yours, the shapeshifter. Odo. Odo. Are you sure you wouldn't be better off with a Starfleet officer heading your security team?
7: Admiral, I have complete faith in Odo's ability to do his job.
0: If you say so, Commander.
7: I do. And as for Gold Dukat, I assure you we are
5: taking all possible steps to locate him.
0: Good. Keep me informed of your progress.
5: I will. Played by Natalia Nogalich, who came out of the Chicago Theater... You know, was a, a great actor. Worked with so many of the the big wigs of American theater, and and um, I I just loved her uh, when she, they brought her on board, and you saw her in Chain of Command. That when Edward Jellicoe was introduced as well, she fired. Picard. Don't mention that. People are
2: still stewing about that.
5: It's only <laughs> been thirty minutes. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, and I. I I just loved her and I love the fact that they recognized that they should bring her back. And she was in both Deep Space Nine and The Next Generation. She was in the penultimate episode of TNG Preemptive Strike, where Roe uh does a heel turn and leaves Picard. And I just I loved her performance. I love the way that she was a badass. I love the way that. Her relationship was. She was very dismissive of everybody that wasn't Picard, and I love the fact that they created this character. And I, I in a way, I wish that she had been ongoing from the beginning of the series. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I always loved her. And it's funny. I when when I was working on um the um the Next Generation Blu-rays with Roger Lay. I, I really wanted to get her and I really wanted we we did a um these single disc, these two-part, we took two-part episodes and put them together. Well, we didn't, CBS Digital did as a movie, and they released one for each season and they did chain of command, and we had extra real estate to go do more documentary stuff. And I I really said to Roger, I we've got to get Natalia Nogalich, because I just wanted to sit down and talk to her. And I was able to interview her, and she is an incredible human being. I mean, so nice, but so smart. And you know, she worked. She was a, one of David Mamet's company of players. And 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 I, it, it was so wonderful to speak with her. And I was so privileged. You can see that if you can find those single discs. They didn't do very well, so I don't think yeah, they They're, they're great, though. They're great. But yeah, the, having those documentaries are 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 great. And we were Roger and I were able to do half-hour documentaries on each one of those discs and interviewing people. Robert O'Reilly, Gowron, was another person I was able to interview on that, are, that are on those discs. But I just love the fact that they created a char- character like her. And I, I think it was something that was really needed in Star Trek. And, you know, she's not somebody people particularly like. But, but the end of the relationship with Picard and her at the end of Next Generation is you realize that she really does have the utmost respect for him. And, and even in Chain of Command, she says... can't say who she says have you heard anything from our friends and um the answer is no and and she's like i would very much like to hear from our friends again Mm -hmm. and you realize it's so great and and i i just i love her and i love her character and i want to see more more like her in star trek
2: yeah that's a great pick that's a great way to start us off definitely uh, a character who was really strong and uh Probably if we were doing 201 characters would have definitely been on it. <laughs> uh like Emres. So uh no. Uh Ashley, um <laughs> I'm kidding about MRES. MRES does not belong on this count. I think Spot could have should have gone ahead of MRES. Spot. <laughs> <I think. laughs> he's a good I'm cat pretty. and a pretty cat. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And or you have the cat feed. from
6: uh, Catspaw, even. Or ISIS. They from, could do uh, like a buddy Cop thing, Spot and and the we could do a whole 101 eyes. character
2: uh, cats, cat. and cats and Star Trek history. Even the cat Memory. discovery was really cute. Okay, so um, Ashley, we're we're in honorary mention runner ups.
6: What's your pick? So my honorable mention, uh, it appeared in only one episode, but it was kind of the exact right episode. Uh, it was uh, the season one. Finale of the next generation, the Neutral Zone, uh, where the Enterprise picks up uh, some uh, some humans who were in cryo sleep and thaws them out. And one of the guys they thaw out is a businessman, a finance manager named Ralph Offenhouse. And what I love about wow. Ralph Offenhaus wow. is, is again, it's like it's this thing that I keep coming back to. I love the characters. Who sort of sit underneath our main characters and tell us something about them. Uh, and immediately by their presence, like give us some organic conflict. And I'm getting this conflict.
2: so wrong. I thought Rob was going to pick the devil. From uh ma- dude magic's of Megus 2. Come and I thought the
6: devil from like uh the whatchamacallit. Oh no, from,
2: from from the from uh, from uh next generation. Yeah. Yeah, I figured it'd be something crazy like that. And
6: I thought you were gonna pick like Captain Maxwell from the I might have picked Captain
5: Maxwell and I thought I like, I like Maxwell.
6: I love Captain Maxwell, but I what I love about Ralph Offenhaus was that in a time when a character desperately needed to call the next generation out for its bullshit when it wasn't really a great show. And those, and the, you could see the outlines of how those characters might work, but they weren't quite there yet. Not really in a consistent way. Like he was the right man at the right time. I'm Captain Picard. Excellent. Now maybe we'll be able to get some
0: things straightened out. We may indeed. Those comp panels are for official ship business. Well, if they're so important, why don't they need an executive key? Board a starship vessel. That is not necessary. We are all capable of exercising self-discipline now, you will refrain from using them. Now, just a minute. We are in a very serious and potentially dangerous situation. I'm sure whatever it is seems very important to you, but my situation is far more critical. I don't think you are aware of your situation, or of how much time has passed. Believe me, I am fully cognizant of where I am and when. It is simply that I have more to protect than a man in your position could possibly imagine. No offense, Matt, but a military career has never been considered to be upwardly mobile. I must contact my lawyer. Your lawyer has been dead for centuries. Yes, of course I know that.
6: He was kind of us saying, wait a minute, what is this crap? Like, what are you guys doing? And what I love about this guy is when the Romulans show up, right? He's the guy who walks onto the bridge. He kind of points to me and says... They're full of crap. He's better than they're, Troy. He's much better. <laughs> he has no idea what's going on. He's like, he completely <laughs> reads those guys. He tells Picard what the story is, and like, oh, get him off my bridge! But it's you know what? He's doing you a favor, man. What is your problem? It's like this guy is awesome. Uh, he goes off. I think he like he appears again in a couple of novels. Like he's like no the ambassador way. to the Ferengi, which I think is kind of a cool idea. But uh, and I'm sure Rob knows which novels he was in. Um, but, uh, but I just adored him. There was this, there was this something about his cantankerousness that I felt was just, oh, yes. He's and no, generation needs he's this. no outrageous O'Connor. No, he's What's not. That? But who
2: is? Wow. Ralph Again, Offenhouse. That wasn't on my card. That wasn't on my <laughs> video card. On, man,
6: It's Wednesday and, oh, wait, that's a different podcast.
2: I'm glad you didn't bring him up for the, for the list when we were putting the list together, because I think we would have replaced you with someone else. (laughs) That's like a 430 movie Ashley pick. Um, (laughs) wow. That's, that's great. That is amazing. From the neutral zone, Ashley's pick is Ralph (laughs) Offenhaus. Wow. Okay. And then, so, so I've been completely wrong. Let's see if I can, I can be consistent. So uh, Darren, my, uh, the amazing Kreskin. Uh, I think my pick for you is you're going to pick Will Decker. You're wrong. Gotcha. <laughs> three for three. I'll, I'll say this for him. He's consistent. Okay. Uh, so so Dan- my pick
3: is also from one episode. And he is probably the most advanced technology ever shown in Star Trek. Mm. This this side of V'gerk. Mm. Which would be a good title for an episode. This, type um, of feature? <laughs> this uh this character um was on the Enterprise for a couple of weeks, and no one knew he was an no android. Way. Yeah. No <laughs> one knew he was an android. He was indistinguishable <laughs> oh, from a human my. being. Yes, I'm talking about. Norman, the android (laughs) coordinator from iMUD.
0: Now listen to this carefully, Norman. I am lying. You say you are lying, but if everything you say is a lie, then you are telling the truth. But you cannot tell the truth because everything you say is a lie. But you lie, you tell the truth, but you cannot for you lie.
3: Illogical. Illogical. Please explain. You are human.
5: Only humans can explain their behavior. Please explain. I am not
1: programmed to respond in that area.
2: (laughs) Oh, this list is, how are we going to maintain our credibility?
3: How advanced would he have to be that Spock didn't even know he was an android? He just thought he was a really good growman. It's, it's truly amazing because uh you oh, know it's amazing and, all right <laughs> M- mccoy didn't know i mean obviously mccoy examined him and didn't notice the <laughs> the belly flap um mm-hmm. it is just it's just amazing that this this is i i can only think that this is a uh, a, a little bit of residual technology from uh, what are little girls made of? That perhaps the old ones were also on this planetoid that uh, that they bring uh, Harry Mud to, and um, that uh, that is sort of the technology that uh, that they build these uh, these androids from. Uh, but you know, uh, uh, he is Norman. He is the coordinator of all the thousands of androids like the on, on the planet mud and you know it's it's truly an amazing feat for him to be able to deal with all of this stuff while taking over the enterprise <laughs> so it it, the benefit it, of never having a tried exactly and uh, you know the uh, like i said earlier the only way that they found out that he was an android was he lifts his shirt up <laughs> and and opens up his stomach I mean, it's, it's truly amazing. I mean, it's a it's a fantastic sort of science fiction trope. uh you uh, having a heart attack? Of the yes. uh, of the you know the fake human, but man, he's, you know he's only brought down at the end when they you know run their little game around all the Alice's and uh, and uh, fry his uh, brains. So look, my hat is off to an extremely interesting character who could fool all of the Enterprise crew for a couple of weeks and uh, and who uh, is a memorable uh, memorable character, Norman Coordinate. Well, at least you didn't say, Stella!
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I have to say, I took this job very seriously. Oh, God damn it. I, 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 I realized, you know, a lot of people have a lot of thoughts about our list, some very favorable. Some think we're on glue. Maybe they're both right, I don't know. So I said, okay, I gotta come up with something, something that really, you know, really honors what this this project of ours that has been going on now for- This thing years. of ours, it's been going <laughs> yeah. on for 200 years. <laughs> Days that <laughs> could feel like years. Um, so my pick, well, my first pick was, uh, None
3: other than an honorable. You're not going to go through five or six characters that you didn't pick to get to your one. Okay, so I won't pick. This is not the 4:30 movie.
2: Okay, I won't. Okay, I won't pick Abraham Lincoln then. Bless me.
1: Excuse me, Captain Kirk. Yes, sir. Mister Scott. What a charming negress. Oh, forgive me, my dear. I know that in my time some use that term as a description of property. But why should I object to that term, sir? You see, in our century, we've learned not to fear words. May I present our communications officer, Lieutenant Uhura. The foolishness of my century had me apologizing where no offense was given. We've each learned to be delighted with what we are. The Vulcans learned that centuries before we did. It is basic to the Vulcan philosophy, sir. The combination of a number of things to make existence worthwhile. Yes, philosophy of gnome, meaning all.
2: <laughs> Abraham Lincoln was my my backup, so I'm not going to go with Abraham Lincoln or your, your neck, even though they could easily be on the list. Just saying. Okay, I'm not going to go with Ram and Lita. I'm not <laughs> oh sure God. how they missed. Okay, okay. So listen, here's the thing. I know a lot of people a lot of people are probably saying right about now, you've had a lot of um, the shows well represented. Deep Space Nine has has dominated, the original series dominated, all these, you know, and they're probably thinking to themselves, where's Lower Decks? Why is Lower Decks not in the countdown? Well, I, I agree with them, which is why I picked Ensign Seto.
0: I understand that you've been recommended for the ops position. Do you think you're up to it? I do, sir. I'm not so sure. I'm concerned about your record. Sir? The incident that you were involved in at the Academy. With all due respect, that was three years ago. My record since then... doesn't matter how long ago it was, Ensign. Would you do something like that again? I can assure you, sir, that I would never, never jeopardize lives by participating in... A daredevil stunt? I would certainly hope not. But what concerns me is... That you participated in a cover up that impeded an official investigation into the death of a cadet. Sir, I know I should have told the truth right from the start. Yes, you should. But you didn't. Instead, you joined with the others to pretend that that was simply an accident. Now, what do you think that tells me about your character? Sir, if you had any idea what it was like after that incident, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have anyone to talk to. I had to take my flight test with the instructor because no one else would be my partner. In a lot of ways, it would have been easier to just walk away, but I didn't. I stuck with it. Doesn't that say something about my character, too? Well, I'm really very sorry you didn't enjoy your time at the Academy, Ensign. As far as I'm concerned, you should have been expelled for what you did. Quite frankly, I don't know how you made it on board this
2: ship. From Lower Decks, she is the Bajoran Ensign who was introduced in the wonderful episode with Wesley mm-hmm. um, in which uh, our friend from the list, Locarno, uh basically uh, Red Squad, uh, uh, causes um, the death of a cadet and they are all stained by this horrible sin. And Picard is the one to bring Ensign Cito on board to give her a shot at redemption, and he does the tough love too. At first, he's trying to get her uh, to speak up for herself, and she doesn't. And uh, and and Worf uh, is is her one friend and mentor who uh, tries uh, who, who's wonderful to her. Who would have thought Worf, the friend and mentor? But then when a deadly mission happens into Cardassian space and only one person can do it, who steps up but Ensign Cito? It's actually a very powerful story because, you know, they love this character. They love the performance by Shannon Phil. And um, there were thoughts, oh, well, maybe we can... You know, change it that she wasn't really killed. But they realize that totally, unlike the end of Star Trek Two, they realize that totally ruins the the story if we say she wasn't killed. We 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 it loses the power of saying that she sacrificed her life to get this Cardassian spy back uh, defector back into uh, back to, to Cardassia, and uh, and 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 so she dies. As great as the performance, as great as the characters, as much as she would have brought to the show going forward they left her dead and you know what it's a great performance she hadn't done a lot of acting but she's great in the role and um those are two great episodes the final duty first duty first duty first first duty duty and lower decks she's in two episodes she makes quite an impression in both particularly in lower decks which is a wonderful which was her final duty yes which was a wonderful conceit in which we find out what's going on not on the bridge. There are a bunch of these other characters. There's bartenders, and there's, uh, the, you know, people, and there's the nurse, and they're all hanging out, and they're wondering what's going on. When they're getting the crew evaluations. And it's a very interesting look at the lower decks of the of the Enterprise. And I, I think that's a great character, and that's my pick for honorable mention slash runner-up for the 101 greatest characters in Star Trek history. Well, they're and right. now, um, nobody can object because these were all personal picks. Um, <laughs> sure, I mean, I'm sure they're waiting happened.
6: for somebody to say Janice Lester, but
2: that's not going to be on our list. But it could have been Abraham Lincoln, but it
6: wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, what's going to be Friday? Abraham hey, Les-
2: Lincoln. How great would that have been, though? The top top Star Trek characters,
6: With Abraham Abraham
2: Lincoln. Lincoln. Maybe he should be number one. He may be. Know. We you don't know. know what
6: he might still be.
2: Yep, Zerak, Genghis Khan. Colonel Green, (laughs) but none of these are- The Unforgettable, we're we're, we're gonna now reveal, we're gonna now reveal the top two characters. Now you may think you know, and maybe you do. But you're wrong. But we're gonna find out. Number two, drum roll please. And I'm supposed to reveal this, but I wanna hand this over to Rob Meyer Burnett. What I what I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this over number two you have to, to come. Robert Meyer Bernan. I want I just I just I just took up a lot of airtime talking about Abraham Lincoln and Encin Cito. so I feel that Rob should have the honors of revealing number two.
5: <laughs> well, okay, uh, this character this this is a character that from a very young age. I recognized as being the kind of human being I hoped to one day grow up to be. It it is a man that first and foremost had great friends that knew him, that loved him, that backed him up, that were there to catch him when he fell and to support him when he needed extra muscle or extra intellect or extra soul or emotion, no matter what was going on. But at the same time, he could walk into any room. He could find the prettiest girl. And he could look at her with a twinkle in his eye and find the one thing that he noticed about her that no one else did and would make her know. And she would know that he knew. And not only that, later he would prove himself to be the greatest kisser in the galaxy. (laughs) And also, he was a great tactician Uh, He was a great intellect, but he was also somebody that knew when he needed help. And he even says it in one of the great moments in Star Trek history. Let me help, he explains. "Is more important than even I love you. And he was a man that... I watched for decades. I mean, from, from a young age, probably. It's so weird to say. Now, I, it's the fictional version. I'm not talking about the actor necessarily. I'm talking about the character. This yeah. character inhabited my imagination the way no one else did. And it was because I wanted to boldly go in my own life the way he did in his. And... Also, he was the captain of the coolest thing I'd ever seen, which was the Starship Enterprise. And, uh, it, like, we all know him. We love him. He's James Tiberius Kirk.
1: They used to say if a man could fly, he'd have wings. But he did fly. He discovered he had to. Do you wish that the first Apollo mission hadn't reached the moon, or that we hadn't gone on to Mars and then to the nearest star? That's like saying you wish that you still operated with scalpels and sold your patients up with catgut like your great, 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 great grandfather used to. I'm in command. I could order this, but I'm not. Because Dr. McCoy is right in pointing out the enormous danger potential in any contact with life and intelligence as fantastically advanced as this but i must point out that the possibilities the potential for knowledge and advancement is equally great risk risk is our business that's what this starship is all about That's why we're aboard her.
6: You may dissent without prejudice.
1: Do I hear a negative
5: vote? He was once, I mean, he was once a nerd. He was described as a nerd. A stack of books on legs. A stack of books on legs. He got beat up by Finnegan. You know he you. was he he was somebody that went through the shit. He went through problems. I mean, he was one of the survivors of the Tarsus Tarsus Four, Tarsus, 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 Tarsus Four, Tarsus Two, Tarsus Four, Tarsus Four. He was there when Kodos the executioner, in an ill-fated attempt to save the colonists, executed half of them to save the rest from famine. He lived through that experience, and if you've read, he pulled a Thanos. And- if you've read his novel, Collision Course, that he wrote in uh, with Judith and Garfield, Reed oh. Stevens, it opens uh, with that scene, and it is truly harrowing. Okay, but we're sticking to canon on this. List. I know. I'm just saying, I love that scene because he's rescuing kids from execution. And it's great. Um, and I love that book. It was way better than Star Trek 09, if you want to see how Kirk and Spock meet. But that's neither here nor there. Um, look, James Tiberius Kirk is 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 the man, the myth, the legend, the lover, the captain, the friend the scholar, the diplomat. He encompasses, I mean, to me, he is the, what do we call him? I think I once said this on a documentary. He was the ultimate example of maildom. And I still believe that. But I
2: think it's more than that. I mean, we used to joke um, when we were on the press tour for Free Enterprise why we love Captain Kirk, because um, he had uh, um, uh, the respect of um, his crew the, the the loyalty of his friends and a green girl on every planet you know that was the joke we would have but it's more than that yes of course it, it, this is a character that um you know not only uh could be in any situation he was as you said a diplomat uh, he was also. Um, brilliant, a brilliant tactician, whether it be In Balance of Terror or something like the Corbmite Maneuver, which some call Conscience of the King for some reason, um, <laughs> you know, um, where he comes up with the Corbmite bluff. Uh, he can talk a computer to death. And well, I there would be another hour if I explained all the episodes where he talks a computer to death. So, I mean, he was just a remarkable person and he had a tremendous loyalty to his friends. You know, I mean, look at what he's willing to do Again, we, we we don't like Star Trek 3 and yet here we are back at Star Trek three he 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 disregards Starfleet orders on on the, the hopeless chance of saving Spock um you know and and disobeys orders and basically there's a mutiny um he he treats um he, you know even Ben Finney who who basically tries to destroy his career and destroy Captain Kirk he has nothing but empathy uh of for 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 yes. And, and for his daughter, um, Jamie. And, um, it's just, and we've done episode after episode of how he's misunderstood and how in the, in the, in the popular culture, there's this weird, you know, people, uh, just don't get this character. They think he's just a, you know, a guy who disobeys orders and sleeps with all these women and all of it. And they, they don't understand what is, um, at the heart of this character. You know, it's not intellectual chaos. It's, um, <laughs> It, it, it is uh, a, a, a character who is a true leader. And what is a true leader? Somebody who inspires, and he's an idealist, and he's a hero, and he's Captain Horatio Hornblower. And, you know, a lot of people grew up on the movies, and it gives yeah. them a different sort of perverted sense of yeah. what this character is. But if you grew up or if you're, you're a fan, you understand the original series, then you really get... Uh, the very essence of what Captain Kirk is and why he is the second greatest Star Trek character of all time.
3: He is the ideal put forth in Metropolis. He is the meshing of brain and heart. He is the fully realized human being. And uh, he he moves from that point always. He, Like you said, he doesn't go uh, off crazy.
2: Whatever he does has been reasoned and felt through. And he He learns from his mistakes. He learns from his mistakes. And even if at first he doesn't want to admit to his mistakes, eventually he comes to understand. You know, it's like when McCoy, you know, calls him out and starts taking the most picture. First, he's not having it. But eventually he'll think about it and he'll realize, you know, that he's made that mistake. Yes, And that, I think, is
6: why he is such an aspirational character yeah right because that's what we can be like we can never be spock right and as much as parts of us when we were kids decided would would want to be spock right like if you can be just logical then what could ever possibly harm you you know but when we become adults i think i mean frankly even as kids but like but kirk is the person we want to be and not only that like we believe that we could be in our finest moments in our best moments like I think in our heads, we are him. Um, You know, one of the things that I don't know that, and maybe we, maybe it's just me, but, but I don't know that we talk enough about, and by that I mean, like, we could just talk about it all day long, is that, you know, Kirk isn't just heroic. He isn't just a great leader. He's not just a great strategist. He is a trickster, right? It's like he finds a way. He finds the way that you're not thinking about it's, you know, if there's the the question, you know, that you just got to ask yourself, you know, when you're in a bad situation, it's like, what would Captain Kirk do? Right. There's a plan A, not just plan poker. B. Right. But like, but what is plan C and Captain Kirk always comes up with plan C, right? He comes up with the thing that you're not thinking about and that's why he's awesome. It's like, that's, that's why he is so great at his job. Um, and, you know, it's God, I, I don't how to how to talk about this without speaking negatively. Um, there is something very specific that Shatner does when he is interpreting that character from the page. That he brings, like, you can see the wheels turning. He is not reciting lines. It's, he's inhabiting something, right? You feel like you are watching him think something out in real time. Mm -hmm. So if you're watching Balance of Terror and he is coming up with a strategy to handle the Romulans, it's you can see it like it's just he's snapping it along. It's like we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then, you know, it's like it'll be a reflection and it'll be and off you go. And you completely believe it. You can see See his realizations. Exactly. But if you were to take all of those words and put them into the mouth of another actor, let's put it that way. You might not get that. It might just sound like a dude saying stuff and you kind of want to slap him. Uh, but Shatner makes it work. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's because, and, it's, and Shatner's not, he's not playing a cartoon, he's playing a real guy. Um, who is capable of feeling things? It's like we've God, we've talked so much about Intensely. Kurt, because intensely. look at, he sacrifices Edith Keeler and so the other, the pain on his, it's painful to watch. Yeah. And believably painful. Um, or again, like I think, you know, we would agree, one of his finest moments, Balance of Terror. Back to that episode, you know, when he is struggling, you know, with this fight and what it means that like these people that he just married right? That there's been a loss, a real loss that he feels keenly. Um, And how does he deal with that? But at the same time, he then he puts on his game face, he gets back out there, and he does what has to be done. And those, I think, are great lessons, especially, you know, for young men as we were growing up, to see that. Like, you know what, sometimes life sucks, um, and things hurt, and you just have to pick yourself up, and you have to make decisions, and you have to do stuff anyway. You know that is. You know, that is, I think, an enormously positive message. And, you know, everything else is, is great. It's cool. You know, all the superficial stuff is awesome. But the fact that we can see him do that again and again and again is, I think, the, the secret to his power.
2: Well, and, you know, a lot has been made in the last couple of years about toxic masculinity. And the thing is, this is a guy who has incredible empathy and caring and, um, and understanding you know, and, and and reaching out to people who think differently than him mm-hmm. across the aisle, one could say, with the Gorn or, uh, you know, with the Horda. And it just, uh, you know, it's hard to understate
6: the significance of this character and how it has often been misconstrued. Well, let's even talk about that, the Gorn thing for just a second, because make no mistake, when Captain Kirk was on the planet in Arena, and he was up against the Gorn. He had one goal. He was going to kill that thing. Yep. Because it was going to kill him. He was not screwing around. He was not trying to become its friend. He wasn't trying to be pals with it. Mm-hmm. But when he bested it, and he realized that he was being used as a pawn, and that uh, he was being tested, that somehow he was going to be able, he was expected to murder this creature that was at his mercy. What we learn from that is, that he wasn't screwing around, he was ready to kill this thing, but mercy was important. He knew he'd won. We knew he'd won. Yep. And then he told the Metrons to go eat a bag of dicks. I think that was the line, actually, originally in the script. And then the network sensors made him change it. It was terrible, because I think it would have been amazing.
5: Well, I, and I also think, <laughs> look, one of my favorite things in the world, and one of the reasons why I really like Star Trek The Motion pictures so much is the character of Kirk was shown to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And he was not, it was such an audacious idea to bring Captain Kirk back in a compromised position where he had to fight his way back to become who we already knew he was. And it was such an interesting way to deal with middle age. It was an interesting way to deal with what does a man like Captain Kirk do when he's not hopping galaxies and, and, and I, I, even as a 12 year old, when I saw the motion picture, as much as I was a Star Trek fan, I loved it. I loved seeing him in that position because I'd never seen him in that position before. Mm -hmm. And I knew that with great Star Trek episodes. And great responsibility. Well, yeah. And it would come back. It would, it would come back at the end and he would figure it out. And, You know, when he, he, he winks when the Enterprise first successfully gets to warp or whatever. And then when he, it's, it's all, it was all, and throughout the entirety of the Star Trek film series, it's too bad that Generations was sort of a letdown for the character, but um, it was just a wonderful way to continue on the character and show him face middle age like a boss. Well, you
2: know, and we talk about these characters, you know, what qualifies to be on this list. And, you know, we talked about them having to be unique. And, you know, Captain Kirk in so many ways was unique. You particularly look at the time. I mean, uh, you know, the heroes of these shows were usually guys with six guns who solved their problems with violence, even though they didn't want to, but they had to, right? They were forced, yeah. but, But Captain Kirk would find another way. He would find another way, and there was so much more to him. And he also wasn't that kind of lone hero, he was a guy who you know it wasn't, you know, the, the um, Bonanza it was their family, right? They leaned on, but Kirk created his own family yep. with Spock and, and McCoy, not Sulu, but Spock and McCoy. And uh, um... Sulu kept wanting to get promoted <laughs> off the show, so but um, it's it's just um, it, it's an amazing character, and it, it's very hard to understand why this character isn't number one on a list, but we're about to find out because there is one character that looms even larger in the annals of Star Trek history than Captain James Tiberius Kirk. And Darren, if you will reveal for the first time anywhere, after lo, these many years, (laughs) these eons, (laughs) the end of our list, number one Top Star Trek character of all time. We have
3: traveled oceans of time to be here. Um, Number one on our list is a character. Believe it. uh, Because of the personal nature that Gene Roddenberry uh, gave to it. And I say it's an it, but I could easily have called it a she. Because, let's remember, these are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's not the voyages of Captain Kirk. It's not the voyages of Captain Picard. It's the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. And number one on our list is the Starship Enterprise.
1: Well, it's a new ship, but she's got the right name.
3: Because it is uh, it is the, the woman that is in Captain Kirk's heart. It is the home to our band of uh, adventurous travelers. It is Earth for all intents and purposes. It is our springboard into adventure. It carries us it keeps us alive, it feeds us, it takes care of us along the way. And the Enterprise is, uh, as designed by Matt Jeffries, perhaps one of the most beautiful and balanced designs for a, 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 a fictional spaceship ever designed. Yes, fictional, <laughs> Fictional.
2: You saw uh, my face. Fictitious. Designed by Jessica Von <laughs> <Fictitious-al>, Puttermaker. Yes.
3: <laughs> Jessica Von Puttermaker um, agrees that uh, the Enterprise is, throughout all of the years of Star Trek, the Enterprise has been there in one form or another. Um, and the, the connection that Gene Roddenberry had to uh, his planes that he flew in the war uh, and the connection that a captain can have to a seagoing vessel, that is the connection that is portrayed in Star Trek. And it is not an impersonal thing like uh, uh, it was made later in the movies uh, when they had to, you know, discard it in Star Trek III. Um, This was truly a, a... a member of the crew, the most important member of the crew. And the the connection to our characters and the Enterprise, come on, let's get back to the Enterprise. You know, it's always there because it is our touchstone for every adventure we go on with the crew. Um, and it's, uh, it, it's truly a beautiful thing in spirit and in form. And uh, it is the reason why we have made the Enterprise, the number one
6: character from Star Trek. As Dr. Leonard McCoy said in Encounter at Farpoint, if you treat her like a lady, she'll always bring you home. Um, and I think that there is a, a lot of truth to that. I think, um, I, you know, to, to even e- extend that a little bit, I, I don't know that I would say that she was discarded in Star Trek Three. I always felt like, and it's, here we are back at Star Trek Three, right? It's like yeah. here's a great idea, just the, the execution was balls. Um, but there was something very giving tree uh, mm, okay. about that 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 movie in that episode. Um, you know, when when she's finally destroyed, it's she gives she everything. She gives everything. She sacrifices for and, the crew. And that's why it works, right? It's like you can blow up the ship as many times as you like. But when it's that ship, when it's that relationship with that captain, it has it gives you the feels. I mean, and the truth of the matter is it almost doesn't matter what version of the Enterprise you're talking about. When somebody yes, says yes, it it's the Enterprise, it, it does, but it doesn't. When somebody says it's the Enterprise, your heart sings just a little bit because it's... The it's idea of the off. enterprise, the enterprise, yeah. Well, the enterprise is, <laughs> is 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 bigger as an idea, I think. Um, bigger than her captain, and bigger case. than her captain, I think. <laughs> Not so big as her captain, I think. But as a, but she is a big idea. She looms large, I think, in the the hearts of Star Trek fans, um, and and it, an important one. And I think that um, you know, in their in their own way, you know, like the incarnations of the Enterprise. I think it's. In their own way, like they have had a thing that sets them apart, even though certainly I I think we could probably do like our ranking of like which versions of it we think are the are the most beautiful. Like there is something about that ship that in every incarnation sets her apart from the Some other others. whatever she appears in. right? <laughs> it's like, just, there's something about it. And you yeah. know who really captured it? You guys, uh, obviously you remember, unless you were as drunk as I was, but uh, Starship Smackdown, was it 2011? 2012? Was yes. that the, the year that freaking the, Neil deGrasse The famous one that I was not at. Oh, right. Oh, my God, <laughs> dude, it <laughs> was so great. But <laughs> Neil deGrasse Tyson got up at Starship Smackdown out of nowhere, unscripted, unplanned, and he gave just the most amazing description of what made the Enterprise special and different as a starship and how she changed science fiction. Um, And I am like emphasizing the she here because to me, that is like, she's got a personality. You know, look, good Lord, I look at the goddamn aircraft carriers and all I can think about is the Enterprise. Like, isn't that funny? Yeah. Isn't that just, it's strange. And you know what, if you, if you talk to people who have served on that ship, I mean, a lot of them feel that too, that there was something very special about that name. Um. And when the, uh, the, the space shuttles were all being mm-hmm. decommissioned, you know, or when they were being sent off, you know, I was, um I was in New York city. I was there for like, for like a, 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 a like a, a book book. Conference that I was had a book published that year. And they I was standing in like the is it the Javit Center in mm-hmm. New York? Mm-hmm. Like, and I was standing like at this big window, like overlooking the water, and a barge goes by and the enterprise is on her. And it was just like god damn it, Star Trek Three. I mean, but and because everybody stopped and looked. Everybody stopped to watch the Enterprise go by. It was amazing. Well,
2: I think we 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 can say The the Enterprise is the biggest star in all of Star Trek history. Mm -hmm. It transcends any one show. It transcends history. And uh, it's probably a lesson that uh, a lot of people uh, working in the trenches at Star Trek can learn that as much as people try to run away from the Enterprise, the Enterprise is at the very heart of what makes Star Trek, Star Trek.
3: And Without her, there's no Trek.
2: There's just Star. It's just Star.
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and um, it's no MRS, but it is our pick for number one Star Trek character of all time. And there you have it. Wow. 101 dun, dun, dun. greatest dun, dun, dun. Star Trek characters of all time. But if you think this marathon session of discussion of Star Trek <laughs> characters is over. No, you'd it's be not stati- over.
6: <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's not over yet. You would be <laughs> heart, We stab at the <laughs>
2: sadly mistaken, because next week we're back with a very special ex- episode of the Trek Experts. It's the 101 greatest Star Trek characters of all time. The rebuttal. Now you may be saying, "What do I get to to, to rebut you?" No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. We're bringing on <laughs> we're, we're bringing on the the Trexpress. We're going to be joined by uh, writer producer Kay Rindell. Um, We're going to be joined by Gabrielle Stanton, who's worked on Star Trek, who's who's written for Star Trek and many other sci fi shows, that she's showrun. We're gonna have Ryan Britt, the author of the books Phasers on Stun, who is uh, a fan and uh, an advocate for a lot of uh, more recent Trek, which will be interested to hear what he has to say. And of course, we'll also have Dave Rogers, the biggest Superman fan in the world, thanks to Darren. But uh, he also was a producer on uh, Space Force and uh, his big Star Trek. So we're gonna have office. We're gonna have a lot of lot of lot of uh, Trek expertise one podcast cannot hold all the tricks for and Darren and Rob and Aaron and myself will be here Aaron who Who the hell's Aaron i think God Darren God and Rob i'm, like,
6: I'm, I'm miguel's brother
2: <laughs> and actually and myself uh. will be will be here to 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 uh, to hear the rebuttal and uh we'll and see if if <laughs> And we'll, we'll hear uh, if, 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 if we've made any mistakes, any omissions, or uh, if you guys are, are just nuts.
3: And the so. great thing is that I have my finger on the mute button at any time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but we're all big enough to take a few insults. And, uh, and it'll be interesting to hear what everybody has to say after this, uh, this, this um, long uh, discussion of, of these beloved characters. And uh, we'll also have a breakdown uh, by show of um, our list. So you can find out. Uh, I, I, I Right now I don't have it, so I don't know. Was uh, TOS, Deep Space Nine or Next Generation uh, had more characters in the list? I'm not, I'm not sure. We'll find out. I know it was not Voyager and Enterprise which came in uh, um, uh, 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 with less picks. Than- I don't think it was them put together. Yeah. Cumulatively, well, I know it was some not on some other shows either. <laughs> um, that didn't did, didn't make the list, but uh, you know, maybe in the rebuttal, maybe we'll have uh, yeah. we'll we'll see. We'll, you
6: if you know, want we'll,
3: a different list, listen to a different podcast, right, but,
6: uh, but 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 not an entirely different podcast. Right, here's, here, be... <laughs> here's the thing, and you
2: you also can 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 share your thoughts with us on social at uh, Twitter and Inglorious Trek, Inglorious Trek Experts, on Instagram and Facebook, and also now on Post. So uh
3: um yeah. thousands of people going on to post hundreds, not hundreds I cannot wait to hear
2: <laughs> I don't know, one day that may be something. We don't know the poster. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
6: maybe, maybe they'll be asking for a piece of our action. I'm a, Kel- <laughs> I'm a Kellogg's fan
4: myself, so
2: you know, maybe one day I'll be like that scene seen the cave in Planet of the Apes. They'll discover Post. They'll find all these postings and be like, "Oh, look at this! They there was once a podcast called the Inglorious Traxperts that did stupid things like break Star Trek Would an ape Star Trek make charges.
6: a platform called Post? <laughs> Can you imagine the gods must be crazy? Except you know, they find Inglorious Trekkers podcast to build the a- of religion around? I can't Men. even... Be like yeah. Sigma Yosha.
2: No more cracks about the podcast. Um,
5: <laughs> Rob, this is yes. pretty good, huh? I have to say, gentlemen, uh, we've been doing this for five years. I very much appreciate you inviting me into your little world to do this. Uh, people love these shows. I I hear a lot about them for a long time to come. Mostly people are angry and yell at us, but still, <laughs> uh, I, I, I quite enjoy doing these things with you all, and... Uh, you know Mark I I've known you now for more than a quarter century. Oh my god. It's nice to know. It's <laughs> nice to know that uh that that wow well, actually uh Mark it's going to be 30 years next year 2024. Wow. wow. That that's, inc- 30 that's years, incredible. 30 and- years. And I I take solace in the fact that we're talking about the exact same things we talked about the moment we first met. (laughs)
2: Solace uh, is the word I would use.
5: That's, uh, well, maybe a quantum of solace. But um, I I think that um, I I do think that uh, there's something about that. It keeps us young, is when the world was new. And the fact that we can still talk about these things with this much gusto and enthusiasm enthusiasm. and uh, And correctness. and, and correctness and, and, and by the way who 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 would have ever thought that it would fall to us to defend a, a, a legacy we never thought would ever be questioned but here we are and wrong thinking
2: is punishable <laughs> um but uh, but, uh, uh how long do we know darren if, if we've known each other for around 30... the same time yeah around I mean, the same time because
3: yeah. when you guys met it was only he a murdered. couple weeks, uh, a couple weeks after that, that you guys showed up on Talk on Track. Talk Track.
2: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, that's right, that's right. Because
5: we met, we met at uh, San Diego Comic Con. Although we talked on the phone before that, because mm-hmm. I thought the cover of Sci-Fi Universe Magazine issue two was so clever because it was Riker from um, Parallels. Okay. Well, also,
2: you, if you remember, your good friend and and may recipes Sean Fanning. Yep. Um, had done Pike's Place Orion Slavewear. Yeah, well, and we did you were,
5: that together. I just yep. want to say,
2: and and no, I I know, and and you were trying to find a way to like either license it or or uh, do it. And I have one of the very few shirts that exist of that uh, Orion Slavewear. and I must say it was a great idea at the time. And those shirts were because you had the one of Will Decker. Remember, you had yep. the Will Decker on the shirt. Yep. Because it was your way, you were like, all these shirts that people do, they're so lame. They say Star Trek, Picard, you know, it's logical, right? And you're like, no, we're going to do something cool, being a relative word. And you had like, uh, uh, um, you met Decker going, uh,
5: there was. There was, (laughs) it it was just Decker that said, and it's so funny, you know, I I think you hooked me up with Dan Mazden. Right, yeah, and uh, Madsen and uh, Madsen, Madsen, yeah, yeah I, it yeah. doesn't Madsen. matter on this show. Um, yeah. Yeah. well, Dan, Dan, <laughs> uh, was working for, or he was either running the Star Trek fan club, and it actually yeah. we got a license, yeah, and we made those shirts for. The fan club, but nobody bought them. Nobody bought them because they were too understood. cool for school. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody, kind of like Sci Fi Universe Magazine, the sci fi magazine for fans with a life. Nobody really understood what it was we were trying to do. No, sci
2: Fi Universe actually sold pretty well. And even to this day, people will write to me and be like, you know, I used to love that man. I'm like 30 years bro. old. It was like,
5: what at that 25 years old? I was like, whatever. And, I mean, uh, no, it's, I was just, I was going to say, Stars of tomorrow. Oh, right. stars of oh,
2: Neil, Neil McDonough and, and Chase Masterson. And I feel uh, bad because really, Lita should have been on the list. I got to
5: say. And and Sean oh, yeah. Fanning and myself and David Starzik Yeah, we too were stars of. tomorrow You were stars
2: of tomorrow. That's true. Who else is today? So let's see if we got it right.
5: Who the? Uh, I mean, Mc... from those. like you completely missed me. Uh, Neil uh, McDonough is still working. Neil McDonough works all the time. Yeah. Uh, 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 Gabrielle's <laughs> on here.
2: Yeah. Well, we got that right. She's you know, doing got really that well right. for herself.
5: Uh yeah. There, <laughs> you're like, <there's>, okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm looking at this a lot of crazy people here. What are we ever? Gre- Greg down? Greg Aronowitz went on and did a lot of great stuff. Um Nick Sagan's on here. Oh yeah. The, Scott ones, Sava's on the, here. the
2: one guy from the Star Trek writing staff that didn't go on to do anything. <laughs> oh well i he mean works. ron moore for all mankind renee uh, Nareen shankar the expanse uh uh uh, uh, uh brandon Braga, cosmos and the orville nick remember remember yeah. i love center, nick nick was great centerfold oh my god Can, oh. you gotta scan that we, sean we, and we... sean and dan Weber. so what rob oh. is holding up right now is the centerfold, the centerfold of sci-fi races do you have my a blood
6: just ran cold.
2: And on one side <laughs> it has a, a super geek, and on the other side it has somebody who's actually a little cooler. He's super right? geeky. But um one one played by Dan Bever and the other model is Sean Fanning, the late Sean Fanning, who is immortalized uh, on on celluloid by the great uh, Patrick Van
5: Horn. Yeah. Um crazy. But crazy. you know, it's it's funny that that fandom and our love of Star Trek brought some of us here together
2: no and yeah us. has kept us
5: together yeah well it, i mean it's it's i just think that it's it's the power of um the front of here
2: it's the power of love it that's everything that guys yeah <laughs> i'm going to miss being on this show when i retire in a couple months yeah. it's not it's not going to be the same what are you you're not going to retire i am i'm retiring uh, at the end of the season uh-huh. no, you are not we're, we're going to do a series of guest hosts just like uh Cisco just like used to do Jeopardy. You'll have to come, yeah, like Jeopardy. Darren so uh, finds somebody who wants as a co host. I wonder, uh, and Ashley. That's, what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm saying
6: not now, done. We're just going to nail his, into the chair. His
3: replacement is named Marv Alberg. Oh,
5: and uh,
6: we're going to get an Android. To see how long an Android, Android can be on the podcast you before can't we not notice? Do
5: this show. Yeah, I,
6: I think so. I, I think I, I want to go
2: out on a high. I want to go out on a high. Unlike uh, some other people, not not on the show, but I'm talking about, <laughs>
5: you know, I just I think it's good to go out, on, you know, when you're winning. Uh, you're right, like Tarantino's only going to make ten movies, right? Wink, yeah, wink, nudge, sure. nudge. I don't know.
2: I mean, he's writing books. He's doing. Uh, he's so productive now. He's doing books. He's uh, yeah, he's, he's doing, doing a TV series. But that last movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well,
3: it's going to take him I mean, twenty years to do that last. But movie.
2: I, I, you know, I would come. I want to come back for the holiday special. Well, isn't Yeah, know, which which will
3: start we'll start recording. I in think the last three weeks? yeah, we, we're we're going to start in about three weeks. Um, look, whether you whether you leave or not, uh, the Trexperts uh, will always uh, have you uh, in its clutches, <laughs> and, and it'll <laughs> and be fine. It'll work out. Some we'll find a way. Life will find, we'll a,
2: find a, way. a way. No, no, there are a lot of lot of, lot of you know there are a lot of good young. People out there who I think uh, have a lot to offer and um, are there
4: though?
2: Yeah. Okay. We'll see. see. Uh, I don't know. Anything's, you know, we'll see. see. But uh, this is great. This is a. Amazing, and I you know, seriously, we, we encourage you. We'd love to hear what you have to say. um You know, but uh, don't tell us we're wrong because we're not. So just tell us what you would have done because that's an yeah. alternate perspective. Yeah, but we are interested <laughs> in your opinions. In your opinions, we're interested. We want to hear it. Yeah. So I mean, we may you know there may be some characters like I love the honorary mentions. I would have never thought of Norman.
4: any of them. I
2: would have never thought of uh, you know any of them. Uh, Ralph Offenhaus. I mean, you know, you would think this is a guy who's like high on drugs, but he's not. He's it's not. It's just me. It's just it's it's Ashley and his death for life. So uh <laughs> I, I mean, from neutral zone. I mean, seriously, that's wild. <laughs> Crazy. So uh see, I you can tell I watched almost almost famous the other day. Um anyway, and I watched this in Kane with the kids this weekend.
5: I, I saw when you I posted. They like yeah. it, They yeah. yeah, loved it.
2: I'll Keep them wow.
5: So, uh, is it, one of them going to call Ben Fong Torres up for a job? You know,
2: I, I, I gotta tell you, it was very, uh, very inspirational, I think, for them for Almost Famous. Uh, both nice. of them loved it, they loved Almost Famous, and we watched, I told you, the bootleg cut. So, that was that was great. And then, um, so what's going on with X06 as we wrap up? How many of these characters are they going to be doing? I don't know, probably all of them eventually.
5: <laughs> so, we have to do this for another 24 hours.
2: No, 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 no. We are going to be returning to the scene of the crime for the rebuttal next week. But until then, I can't tell you how pleased we are that you stuck it out and listened. And all kidding aside, we truly appreciate your interest, your loyalty to the podcast, your 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 um your hopes, your dreams, your your hate and sometimes uh, your reasoned but wrong answers. Yeah. <laughs>
6: Deeply, deeply
2: wrong. No, no. Look, and I, I will say I'm very interested, actually, in hearing. Like, I'm sure there's some voyagers we missed. Of course, there is. You know, I'm actually awesome. very. You know, maybe there's a people in Enterprise. We, we, we. Maybe we we missed some, uh, something. I don't know. I'm. Mean, I'm. That's why we're doing the, the the whole rebuttal. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I would, I would like. I thought. Uh, the Character of Lorca was an interesting character, maybe I would have, yeah. Probably, actually, it's true, uh, you know. Um, I don't know, so there might have been things we missed. I don't know, we'll find out, we'll talk about it. It's an ongoing discussion, but uh, the, I will say the trial never ends. <laughs> the trial, never ends. The trial <laughs> never ends, isn't that true? Isn't that true? Well, look, um, Rob, thank you for uh, giving sharing so much of your time with us. Um, this it's was my uh, honor. This was, um this is remarkable. And uh we'll get to do it again very soon <laughs> for the 2023 holiday countdown. Subject TBA. We don't know. We don't know what it's gonna be. Could be, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, uh, uh on behalf of Robert, Ashley Miller, Darren, Aaron <laughs> <laughs> and, my, and myself, <laughs> Martin Alvin. Uh, keep on trekking, and gloriously, of course, and we'll see you next week for the 101 greatest Star Trek characters of all time, The Rebuttal.